Blanc tries a taco with some of Jeremy Renner's hot sauce in the back and takes and puts a bottle in his pocket. It's the perfect, um, the perfect use of celebrity name dropping in this. Yes, They're it's like, the same thing can... where they talk about like uh, I think it's, it's Jared, Leto's... Jared Leto's kombucha, right? Yes, he, yeah. yes. It was like meant to be like this uh, fruit drink with like what eleven percent alcohol, nine percent But hello, and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophie Ricciardi, and I'm joined today by my dear friend and guy who I'm dragging onto a lot of podcasts this month, uh, Dominic Noble. Dom, welcome to the show. <laughs> hello there. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah we, were just, we were just discussing before we started recording, I'm sort of ingressing into, into Sophia's world quite a lot for the next week or two. I'm going to be on multiple productions very mm-hmm. exciting i'll also edit for you so we <laughs> yes so we are yeah we, we do see a lot of each other amount. anyway so yeah <laughs> uh but don i have to ask you you know how this works you've been on the show before back in the hot mm-hmm. fuzz episode so i have to ask you the question i ask at the top of every episode why did we watch glass onion because everyone should be watching glass onion because it's a fucking masterpiece it's <laughs> as as sequels go i've never been less disappointed mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I mean, disclaimer at the top of the show, this is a fairly recent release, Glass Onion, now on Netflix. We both saw it in theaters when it did its limited theatrical run. We're um, part of the elite. We, we are better than you people. Part of the chosen few. <laughs> <laughs> it held up great on the rewatch on Netflix, so I highly, highly recommend if you have any interest in seeing this, watch it now and then come back to this episode because we are going to spoil the whole plot of the movie. And since it is a murder mystery, that means we're going to tell you who done it. Um, yeah. And it is really, really fun to watch it and try and figure it out. And then, yeah, and it's not obvious who done it. Like, it's wow. it's a it's not like a completely serious uh, mm-hmm. murder mystery. It's very much a comedy uh, and a spoof. Wasn't well, it more like a send up to classic like Agatha Christie? Yeah, Christine you can tell there's a lot but... of like influence from the kind of murder mystery shows of like the 70s and 80s like your Columbo's and your like Poirot's and those elements that shine through I think really really work for it but this is I think Glass Onion even more so than Knives Out kind of leaned into the more of the time comedy of being made like from 2020 to now uh which I like, but understandably, I have seen some people be like, well, I don't know if all of these gags totally worked for me. Um, but I, in terms I of like them. the tone of the I, movie, yeah. I yeah really there were like no them. flops as far as I was concerned. <laughs> but but like it's still like they, they did a really good job at burying the lead and having mm-hmm. and red herring the shit out of this. So even yes. even though it is a tongue-in-cheek adapt, you know, uh, remake of these murder mysteries, the actual murder mystery is still really, mm-hmm. really good. So I would highly recommend going into the film with no prior knowledge. Yes, highly, highly recommend. Although having rewatched it now twice, um, I will say that the writing of this movie is so intelligent that you, if you do know where it's going, you do start to pick up those clues later on, which gives it some rewatch yeah, value. Uh, I will not be spoiling the twist until we get to it in the movie in my summary, but still, you should watch this movie before you listen to this episode. That said, yeah. we might as well jump into the latest Benoit Blanc mystery. <laughs> We open on various people receiving a mysterious box full of various different kinds of puzzles on May 13th, 2020, which dates this movie to right in the midst of the pandemic. Yes, this was the first film I've ever seen that, like, really embraced the pandemic. Like, I've noticed there's a general trend at the moment where everyone's just, like, 
trying their best not to acknowledge it ever mm-hmm. happened in TV and film. Whereas this one's like, no, this is lockdown. There's people doing bad lockdown things. Like mm-hmm. Ben Benoit Blanc is playing Among Us. My God. Well, so we'll get to that. But <laughs> so yeah, this is this one like fully, fully acknowledges the pandemic and leans into all the all of our shared experiences in that. Mm-hmm. It was really refreshing in a lot of ways. I know people like to go to the movies to like escape life and things and being reminded of the pandemic is maybe stressful but in some ways i think that that is more true to the experience of the average viewer of this movie than anything else could have been and they managed to leverage it to tell you a little bit about all the characters in ways that are now familiar touch points having all of us lived through said pandemic yes they and and this particular era (laughs) yeah and they do such a good job of uh introducing all of these characters and telling Mm -hmm. you so much about what you need to know about them like birdie the uh She's like a designer slash like former model, right? Model, socialite, yeah. uh, turn but wealthy, she, out of touch designer. Yeah, and she's so she's throwing this massive party right in the middle mm-hmm. of lockdown, and everyone's just like, "Are you throwing a party?" And the first thing is just like, "Oh, it's fine. They're in my pod." And I'm like, "Oh, oh god, oh yes. god, that's like that. They, that's so real. Like so many <laughs> asshole influencers were just like, "It's fine because we're all isolating together." Mm-hmm. And they kind of just like they don't lampshade that it's the pandemic so much as they just like let all of these experiences that we all kind of had happen like we're first introduced to uh Catherine Hahn's character Governor Claire who is mm-hmm. a politician doing a CNN call from her house all of her kids are running around she's jumping onto a zoom essentially yeah everyone was stuck at home she references like we're all trapped at home totally staying sane ha 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 um we see Lionel who is Leslie Odom Jr the cast in this movie is stacked uh <laughs> Yeah, a scientist no. sitting completely alone on a big Zoom call at Alpha Industries. Yep. Oh, and he's saying like, like his the the Elon Musk character that we'll get to know mm-hmm. later. He Miles was just describing Bob. all these fucking faxes he'd sent him. It was just like dogs and Facebook equals influence or something like mm-hmm. just the most bullshit. And was just like, well, you know, he's an, he's a genius, so you don't really keep up with him right. and stuff like that. But it's like, and you know, obviously there's a twist later that re puts this in a completely different light, but. And it was like, but then of course we got that that one fax that was just like NFTs and children, and then we made billions from that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh god. Yeah, and each of these characters, as we're meeting them in their respective situations, are kind of dancing around Miles Braun, the billionaire genius yep. character of it all, and they're receiving their boxes from said Miles. Yeah. Dave, surname. You were telling me how to pronounce his surname earlier. Dave Bef- Batista. Batista. Dave Batista, who is your your sort of run of the mill, like. Manonist, uh, you know, men's rights YouTuber, mm-hmm. fucking asshole. Yeah, I, like Ryan Duke. Johnson. Oh, sorry, I should put that on silence. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Johnson's like he—he's not of our generation, but he is so so good at tapping into what pisses us off so much. <laughs> like he's tapped into every like like modern times jackass that just drives millennials absolutely mad because mm-hmm. they got you know you got the influencer who is flotting in the face of all the lockdown stuff and thinking she's, right. you know, above it Birdie all. Birdie at her party. She also yeah. notably has an assistant, Peg, Peggy. Poor uh, Peggy, cool. yeah. Poor Peggy. <laughs> but, and, then, and like, and then they have this, this, this asshole right-wing YouTuber mm-hmm. who's, Duke. Uh, yeah, Duke, who is, like, being just this freak, you know, massive misogynist and just playing up this persona to make money while off-screen. He, he doesn't actually hold any of these values. He's, it makes it immediately clear because he's immediately very polite to his mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like this is just shit he's playing up for the camera so he's a bad faith right wing commentator I'm like Ryan Johnson how did you know how did you know every like 
uh, contemporary boogeyman that we've learned to hate over the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, and so Duke and Whiskey also, uh, Whiskey, his, his girlfriend, get the his box as everyone is sort of jumping onto a video call together to try and solve the various puzzles and open it. Uh, Duke's mother is also in on this. She gives them the first clue to solve the first puzzle. She is my favorite character in this movie. Yes. I wish I wish she turned up more. That would have been a bit of a bummer, you know, yeah, after about very, a quarter of the way in. It's a very finely tuned machine. I understand why she was not in more of it, but for the sequ- this opening sequence where she is kind of just like, it's a Fibonacci sequence yeah, and like mom. drinking your coffee off screen. Love her. Absolutely mom, I'm doing puzzles delightful. with my friend. <laughs> oh, it's so good. They all continue on the call trying to open it up, solve puzzle after puzzle, continuing as each of them kind of contribute to solving the puzzles in their own way. Um, very cool editing technique of using the different panels to kind of like move us through and everything without just having a big zoom call up on screen. I really I really like this opening sequence. I think it's a very efficient setup to who all these characters are and giving us a little taste of some mystery before we dive into the actual mystery we'll be un- uh, unraveling. Yep. They all flip the final switch in the box at once, opening them to reveal a small onion-like uh, sub-box within the box that opens itself to show them an invitation to inviting them to a weekend on Miles' private island to solve the mystery of his murder. Whoa, a murder well, mystery and a murder mystery. kind of. <laughs> yep. They all rush to pack, and we then go to Janelle Monet, who is yep. sitting alone in a half packed up half unpacked room in the dark with the same box and i love the shot she exits frame grabs a hammer comes back in and just absolutely smashes the box foregoing any of the puzzle solving and going to take the direct route yeah that has occurred to me so many times when like if you watch like some like a more serious tv show where it's like oh Mm -hmm. no we have to figure out these mysteries to get the, the antidote out of this and it's like you know, you probably could just smash that. Or even if it's made of metal, just grab a grinder and just carve the corner off. So I love mm-hmm. that Ryan Johnson actually worked in acknowledging that if you don't want to play the game, you don't actually have to. Yes. Uh, we then leave her smashing the box to go to our titular detective, Benoit Blanc. Uh, Benoit Daniel Craig Blanc. reprising Blanc. his deep fried Southern accent for another Ooh. entry into his I, murder yeah. mystery series. I, I've seen a few interviews <laughs> of him and he said that the description of like the character said he has a very sort of gentle, slight Southern twang. And he said, well, obviously I ignored that because <laughs> he was like, yes, hello there. That's so funny that it was supposed to be a gentle yes. twang. Because I see the kind of like archetype that they're going for. It's the sort of like it's almost anti-masculine it's this very like soft-spoken but still firm mm-hmm. uh yeah. figure he's, yes he's he's sort of basing himself off prao where he is the genius yeah. detective but he's not like an action hero he's exactly he necessarily want to have a fight with you or anything mm-hmm. like that he calls himself himself later on in the film he's just like i'm not batman you know no, I'm, I, not batman. I'm not maybe james bond but i'm not batman <laughs> <laughs> yeah somewhat undercut by having daniel craig walking around the screen yes. but the point taken nonetheless uh, so I see where the accent like notes would have been coming from. So incredibly funny that he went over the top with it because I think it works for the character, but it does give people something to immediately um, imitate in tweets. I would mm-hmm. say. <laughs> well, it's one of the few times because he's also a British man doing an American accent. It's one of mm-hmm. the few times where I can impersonate him like fairly successfully. But, so you're you're British. If you're asked to do an American accent. How often, I would probably like how, go for Southern because that is one say, of the most like, easy to, to, to impersonate. Accent. Yeah, it's either that you try and do like a bad impression of like a New Yorker. It's like, hey, I'm walking here. 
So I, nice. I imagine people hearing that have the same sort of pained reaction that I'd get when people do English. So. <laughs> Probably. But Benoit Blanc is sitting in his bathtub playing Among Us on Zoom. Uh, with yes, with Angela Lansbury. <laughs> Angela Lansbury, Stephen Sondheim, Yo-Yo Ma, and Natasha <laughs> Leone, who are all cameoing as themselves. <laughs> so good. Like, so good. Like that. I mean, all... they, they missed the Among Us craze slightly because that slightly. sort of petered off a bit mm-hmm. after lockdown. But just, I love that Benoit Blanc is really bad at it. <laughs> I like that he's terrible at it because it tells, it tells a lot about his character. Uh, at one yep. point, Natasha Leone suggests he try crosswords because he's expressing that he's, you know, really bored. Yeah, uh, I mean, he, he his needs friends some, were just trying to, like, to have an intervention. And, yeah, I was like, we should yeah. play Quiplash because um, they. Ah, oh, so good. But I do find it very funny that he's terrible at them because, again, he mm. will lampshade this himself later. He's like, I'm terrible at, like, games when talking about the game Clue. But it's also, a stupid game. I, yeah, the Among Us thing, I think, still works, even if it's a bit almost dated now because it's oh, not yeah. as hype. But it is very true to it, the moment in time in which this movie takes place. So if you look at it almost like a period piece, yeah, it kind it, of works perfectly. It's nostalgic, but in a bad way, because we all remember when we had yeah. nothing to do but it's play Among recent. Us. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but um, we, and we don't we we hear we hear uh, like the voice of what turns out to be his husband uh in and i i i can't i mean we don't find out who the voice belongs to until later in the movie but mm-hmm. i can't express how happy i was to find out that not only is benoit gay he's also married to hugh grant to <laughs> hugh grant that's like okay i mean Good for as, them. yeah i mean as two gay characters who are never seen on screen at the same time go this was still very mm-hmm. satisfying and speaking of his husband, uh, a voice calls off screen for Benoit to A, are you still in the bathtub? Because apparently he's been there all week. And B, to get out of said bathtub because there's a box here for him. Title, Glass Onion. We go to Greece. Benoit is masked up and waiting on a pier as a similarly masked up, appropriately Lionel arrives. And this is all where I've seen this referenced a number of times. People have pointed this out already. But the masks here are doing a lot of work to tell you a lot about these characters. Lionel yes. the scientist is appropriately masked up, following guidelines, as is Benoit. Catherine Hans Claire, the politician, shows up and she's clearly trying, but kind of performatively it's pulled down below her yes, nose. Yes, it keeps slipping down her nose, so she keeps yeah. like thinking about it and pulling it up, but then mm-hmm. forgetting about it. Yes, I saw Ryan Johnson do a breakdown of this and how he used all these masks to show off these characters, because I don't think... Mm-hmm. Um, Fucking Birdie, oh, not Birdie, uh, Duke turns up without a mask at all. Duke has nothing, and then Birdie yeah. has like a, a chain mesh one. That the, oh, just, the mesh just mask. Just showy, yeah. not doing anything. Exactly. The, the, the bullshit mesh, ma- mesh mask was another thing that I saw on like actual celebrities pulling that bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I was, just, I was just staring at the screen like, oh my God, right? He's how he's tapped into this this deep anger into like yes. towards these assholes that were just fucking up lockdown for the rest of us mm-hmm. and, and managed to turn it into a comedy. So like I'm still mad at Ryan Johnson for killing Luke Skywalker, but I have to admit he's a genius, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think he gets to really like show off uh in genre pieces and this one in particular really he got yeah. the the carte blanche with knives out to sort of like make the movie he wanted to make and now he's sort of running with it. Um yeah. but they all recognize each other they're all very happy to see each other and birdie recognizes benoit blanc the famed detective and the rest all ask him about himself and why he's there as they're sort of familiar with some of his previous work Mm. this is when duke shows up declares that the disruptors have assembled and introduces his girlfriend whiskey blanc tries to explain that he was invited by miles but as he gets into it a boat arrives along with one of miles's unnamed employees who inoculates them with a like crazy It's sort of like I don't know if this was like 
it was sort of implied, I think, that this uh, this rich asshole was sitting on the cure for COVID. Yeah. Because <laughs> once they yeah. did that, it was like, you're fine. And that was mm-hmm. it. And that was, the, that was the last time they wore masks or referenced the pandemic. So it was like, yeah. Did the billionaires yeah. have a cure that they just weren't sharing with the rest of us? <laughs> it did feel like that. I, part of me is like, well, I think that this might have just been for the sake of the movie to like yeah. not have I mean, to you have can't, actors yeah. in masks the whole time. But at the same time, I'm like, really setting up this rich asshole as <laughs> being a rich asshole. Duke also drops a little Easter egg about his pineapple mm-hmm. allergy by saying a line I love. The Duke don't dance with pineapple. Pineapple, yes. If I, I've been introducing my gluten allergy in the same way ever since. I'm like, yo, Dom, Dom don't, don't dance, dance with gluten. <laughs> I think that's how you should always have to introduce your allergies anytime you're saying <laughs> in any situation. I don't have any allergies to introduce, so you can't murder me with my allergies. But <laughs> Noted. I mean, you can't murder me with my gluten tolerance because I'll just have violent <laughs> diarrhea, which isn't going to, it's going to ruin my night, but it's not going to put me out of the picture, you know? <laughs> True. Uh, And as they all receive their mysterious uh, inoculation, rich person cures, then receive wristbands that allow them access to the whole mansion on this island they're about to go to and begin to board the boat. One more car pulls up. It's Janelle Monae, who exits with the dramatic musical sting. So you know that this is a big deal. Uh Birdie immediately calls out hello to Janelle, Andy, as we'll learn her name is, and the rest look on in shock. And they spend the boat ride to the island, dramatically looking at Andy watching the wake of the boat as yep. Blanc asks looking Lionel about sort of, the... Yep, yeah, serious and dramatic and posing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Blanc asks Lionel about the stir at her arrival, and he explains that this is um, the one who started Alpha with Miles years and years ago, and until a few years ago when he kind of like social network and booted her from the company through a legal move. And it's been a bit of an estranged relationship with all of them since. They sort of low-key imply they sort of reinvented Facebook or something to that effect. Because they, they, between, yeah, between those two, uh, they sort of came up with some sort of app. Uh, that's not yeah. really gone into, but it would seem to be like rocketed them into like billionaire status. Yeah, basically they came up with a big new tech company called Alpha that has ambiguously changed yeah. the, and they, by, the world. I mean, by the time of the movie, it's got its hand in every part, like yeah. Amazon or something. But yeah. I like that they kind of go for the implication of like the big temp tech company rather than trying to outline for us exactly what it does. I think like mm. relying on these sort of like stock tropes of the type so, yeah. of thing we're dealing with or like the outline of the background information keeps the movie from getting too bogged down with like miscellaneous information yeah, no, because they're, pr- they're throwing stuff at you all the time here to put the mystery together mm. helping us not need to know the intricacies of what Alpha's app actually does. I think, uh, as a viewer, I, I was very appreciative of that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I probably would bog things down, considering it's not that relevant aside from as a as a plot, you know, mm-hmm. as a MacGuffin. They arrive at the island owned by Miles, where a Banksy made dock emerges from the sea. Uh, Lionel is admiring it, and the captain of the boat declares it a. Uh, how do I say this? <laughs> Piseshi. Piseshi. Yeah, some yeah. some fancy word that fancy l- word. Later revealed to be not as positive as mm-hmm. originally believed. Uh, Miles, who is the worst guy you know at a party, is playing guitar when they all land on the beach and oh, welcomes them Miles. to his island. The big, the big reveal shot of Miles, played by Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Uh, so, I, I, Ryan Johnson, again, like I, I'm in somewhat in in, a, in in awe of his ability to tap into who you know who I personally find the most frustrating in the universe, <laughs> and like my my feelings towards Elon Musk was fairly. It's like. 
lukewarm negative until until recent events where he decided to force his way onto Twitter and mm-hmm. ruin everything for everyone forever. But like, yeah. he really did nail the character of this. Uh, you know, where, where people sort of equate wealth with genius, whereas mm-hmm. nothing they seem to do actually seems to to match that. So. Yes, Edward Norton, like, he really, really, really plays into this character really well in that, like, you just keep all the way through the movie assuming he must be actually quite bright, even though everything he does is in some way quite stupid. Yeah, he's this, like, hyper-caricature of, like, the ultra-new money billionaire, tech billionaire. Uh, He's falling back on these very familiar aspects of the character, whether you're talking about, like, an Elon Musk type or, like, you know, your social network Zuckerbergs or who have you, right? Like, we're all kind of familiar. Yeah, I mean, I might be leaning on Musk a bit heavily because (laughs) Musk, like, just before this movie came out, also managed to sort of tank his reputation with an incredibly stupid business move, which parallels the film. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, and it's it's this very performative, tech-based, showy form of wealth that you... you He's got a robot police dog carrying the bags in, and they're like... He keeps name dropping all these celebrities he's hired to design mm-hmm. the the dock or design the the gong that happens every hour. There's just there just is an the sound of the answering gong, like a clock would go off. And also, the voice of the dong is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> like in the cast, if you watch the credits, he's credited as the hourly dong. Um, and I just think that's important to highlight. Uh, <laughs> but Miles is also like this kind of like hyper new money tech billionaire which is in sharp contrast to the like old money wealthy family from the previous movie uh yes. and i think it's really interesting how well rian johnson managed to show both kinds of extreme wealth and the sort of like mindsets that both have mm-hmm. and how that can result in the situation of this murder mystery um very effectively almost immediately it's communicated what kind of characters we're, we're working with uh miles and whiskey is that she on gets off the boat, have a weirdly charged hug, uh, and Blanc goes to introduce himself when Miles spots Andy and the serious music kicks back in uh, as he's like, oh, you made it, taken aback uh, by his former business partner. Miles tells them all to inbreviate this moment together, uh, (laughs) that they have a great weekend ahead of them, uh, with only them there when Daryl walks by. He's not part of the experience at all. He's just a guy who was also living on this island. He was in the previous movie. Uh, not Wait, as, as Daryl, but this actor, uh, I think, oh. had a bit part in the previous movie. I think he's just, like, friends with Ian oh, Johnson or something. That. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, he will be in, like, the background of miscellaneous shots Stan every once in a while. Of, of yeah. all Knives Out mysteries. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. First up, they have a tour of the Glass Onion, which is this huge glass room at the top of this mansion. Uh, while the main group all walk ahead following Miles, Benoit and Andy chat about rich people shit while he ties his shoe. Miles explains to Lionel that he sent all of the staff home for the weekend and he just wants to have a normal weekend with him and all of his friends and their robot butler that yeah, carried all of their stuff like to nice the rooms. a nice closed circle, you know? Yeah, the Glass Onion's all about, like, creativity and being, like, a creative commune, which is when the hourly dong sounds over the speaker. Uh... <laughs> And Miles explains that their rooms are all assigned to them by which chakra he most most associates them with and that their wristlets act as the keys to their rooms. And you kind of understand so much about the like pseudo hippie character that Miles thinks he has and the kind of like genius he thinks he has. Yeah, It's all so forced and so pretentious Mm -hmm. and it's like... Yeah, because you're absolutely right now that you bring it up because he did like very call out how all the old money people, at least the second generation money people, 
all pretend, like feign having different views, but at the end mm-hmm. of the day, the key the key core of their personalities and their politics is all rich people. Right. Whereas uh, now he's 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 perfectly switched into calling out like how the new money people, as much as they uh, they base their personality around being of the people, or being these creatives, or being these um, system breakers, are at the core of their personality. It still comes down to rich person. It, it it's like a perfect explanation, like exploration of these characters while still relying on kind of. I don't want to say stock tropes because it's pulling on real it's, world. I yes, it's not so much stock tropes. It's like new tropes. It's tropes yeah. that we've got kind of used to in the mm. last like decade at the most. So exactly, uh, but they all disperse to their various rooms, save for Benoit Blanc, who Miles asks for a quick word with, and up in the Glass Onion, which also functions as kind of Miles's office. Benoit's offering to play any role in this murder mystery game, including that of detective, but Miles is just sort of confused as to why he's here at all. Benoit is in turn confused because he was invited via box and presents his invitation, which, though Miles didn't send to him, is indeed one of the invitations that were sent out. Benoit posits that maybe one of the others had reset their box and sent it to him, uh, which Miles immediately latches onto that explanation and uh, is like, of course, someone must have sent it to you as a joke to get the greatest detective here for my murder mystery. Well, he's just something like the in 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 ultimate or something. Mm-hmm. He uses another b- bullshit word to describe. Exactly. Uh, sort of just making stuff up. But uh, yeah. Blanc is embarrassed of the situation, the mix-up, but Miles just seems excited to have the best detective at his murder mystery party. He is in the habit of trying to pay to have the best people do things. He will later reference how he had, like, Jillian Flynn write the murder mystery yes. <laughs> similar similar things he's always referencing like different celebrities or different famous uh thinkers who have been paid to but construct it's, things it's funny but it's also all setting up the big reveal at the end because just pointing out how he's thrown his money around to have all these things accomplished without ever contributing to it himself yeah he just is happy with the situation yeah i mean it's, it's funny because all, yeah. all, all the guests were just like oh uh you know Edward you Norton wants, yeah well he wants you to have here because you're the world's best detective at a murder mystery party and he's like oh well my guests must have wanted you here because you're the world's mm-hmm. best detective at a murder mystery party so it's like everyone just assumes someone else was being an the asshole one responsible yeah. yeah uh miles runs off to the pool where the rest of the gang is relaxing and blanc appears wearing the fit of summer 23 yes. i'm calling it now if you are not rocking the striped matching Just The Victorian era bathing suit. <laughs> I think was how I, I clocked it. With the ascot, if you're not rocking mm. this come 2023, you are missing out on the trend cycle, my dude. Uh, <laughs> That's my next Comic-Con outfit. I'm just walk- rocking up as Benoit Blanc in the pool suit. I'm like, beautiful. Men, this is your opportunity. Dress better. Dress like Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc. <laughs> Miles is serving hard kombucha out of a scale model of his famous baby blue Porsche car, which Duke jokes about how he it's so iconic and he almost pancaked him outside of uh, Anderson Cooper's birthday party, yeah. uh, as, as Miles reminds him. Anderson Cooper apparently throwing wild parties. Duke also has his gun in a belt around his Speedo, which is wildly dangerous because the safety is not on. <sighs> He yes, this is remarked upon that this jerk never ha- doesn't have a gun on, mm-hmm. on himself on his person at all times. Yeah, he's that sort of keeps his peace on him all the time. Blanc kind of spots Lionel and Catherine Hahn. Uh, Claire, I wrote her name as Catherine Hahn in the first like two thirds of my notes because I missed it when they said her name the first time. <laughs> and it's Catherine <laughs> Hahn. She's great. Yeah, it's but- really difficult not to think of all the entire cast by that actors' names. Unfortunately, <laughs> in this yeah. movie in particular, just because they had like fucking. Gold like 
top mm-hmm. cast. And it doesn't. It makes it even harder because half of the uh, celebrity cameos were playing themselves. Yeah, like it does Serena kind of Williams turns up later, just being Serena Williams for a second. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Lionel and, and Claire are off talking at the side of the pool. Meanwhile, uh, Peg slides up to tell Birdie that she has to talk to Miles, who is otherwise occupied flirting with whiskey. And Birdie sort of reminisces about how Miles used to be less famous than her, and then uh, you know she she used to be the only one who had his attention, and she was in control. Uh, and after moving her hat slightly, she notices Andy, who has been sitting there presumably the whole time, and who, who she hasn't seen since the trial. As as much as it paints her in a bad light, I had to respect her honesty at least. Yeah. It's like I liked it when I was more important than him and he was my plaything. I was like, well, I respect you for the self, you know, for, for being willing to admit that you're a terrible person, but... Mm-hmm. Blanc walks inside to find a fax machine whirring, and Miles explains that he doesn't have a phone, he just uses his series of fax machines oh, all over the world. The worst. All receive messages at the him. same time. The worst every, kind of, like, yeah. Every hipster douchebag I've ever hated. <laughs> Blanc then sort of inquires about what drew all of these, you know, disparate characters together, and Miles explains that disruptors recognize each other. The factual answer is they all went to the same bar called the Glass Onion together years and years ago in New York, but Miles goes on to explain that, like, what really unites them is this idea of disruption. For example, Birdie, who says what no one else will and talks uh, up her accolades, like the sweetie pants, the designer sweatpants yep. that she designer sweatpants that came out just as during lockdown, where everyone was wearing sweatpants. Exactly, um, including Ridic- that she also was the editor of Shishi magazine for a while, uh, a copy of which Blanc has in his arms with her face on the cover. And this Duke was all. The- like the first, supposedly the first guy to get a million followers on Twitch before getting banned for selling fake, uh, uh, was it rhino horn mask, like something like masculine that. pills. Yeah, which but is Duke like, is this I, yeah. huge influencer, right? Claire, who was a, a soccer mom in beige and now is, you know, throwing grenades into machine politics. In yeah. yeah. Um, Lionel, who's pushing the boundaries of science without waiting for academia to catch up with him. And he then, Miles then goes on to say that, like, what he did with Alpha, although he spots Andy and changes that he to a we, um, is that Alpha disrupted, which again is, like, I think very intentionally vague about what Alpha actually did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because by not saying what it did, it doesn't put any onus on, like, what Miles' thoughts on it were necessarily. Yeah. You're right. He says so. He says so much in this scene without actually saying anything. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's using a disruption to mean a lot of things, but not really specifying what that word means. Um, Miles then also leans in to tell Blanc a secret. Uh, if you want to shake things up, you have to start with something small that people were already kind of tired of. Uh, that's your infraction point, which is not what that word means. Nope. And from there, you have to ask yourself if you're willing to like break the thing that no one else wants you to break and to go further. And by breaking the system itself, that's how you are disruptive that's what disruption this is, is. See, this is what led me to believe he just basically reinvented twitter at some point or that yeah. they, they you know <laughs> him and helen uh had just made a better social network because that, that's he, kind that's, of like know. it's exactly the kind of dialogue uh and the kind of speech you expect from a or that we've even seen in real life from like big tech presentations about a yep. new product or software that they're launching and it it's always breaks like, the mold this it is defies all expectations yeah, yeah. This will change the world. That kind of big inflated talk about yeah, what basically it's Twitter with a better UI. Like. So. Mm-hmm. But once his speech wraps up, Andy claps and tells Blanc to spot the other thing that this group all has in common. Uh, it's 
the person that Lionel works for, who bankrolled Claire's campaign, who was an angel investor in Sweetie Pants, who set Duke up on YouTube after he was banned from Twitch. They're all riding Miles's financial coattails uh, and declaring this, she storms off with Claire going on after her. And um, uh, Blanc has one of the best lines in the movie where, you know, Birdie is, is you know, reiterating that she is a true speaker and that she says, you know, she people are scared to hear because she just speaks her mind, you know, she's willing mm-hmm. to speak the truth. And Blanc says, it's like, it is a very dangerous thing to mistake thinking with, was it say, speaking without thought speaking with speaking without the thought truth? Speaking and the then truth. He, she was like, are you, she, of course, this goes straight over her head. So she's mm-hmm. just like, are you saying I'm dangerous? Where, yeah, but it's like, oh, that line fucks so hard. <laughs> Miles just like completely moves on from this uh, very blase. It's just like, well, dinner's at eight. Lionel catches up with Claire as they both watch Andy kind of storm away, and Claire notes how something is off and that Andy's changed. Meanwhile, Peg catches up with Miles and asks him not to make Birdie make a statement to the press about Bangladesh, uh, because if Birdie's name is destroyed for any reason, Peg, whose entire resume is that she's worked for Birdie, uh, also goes down with her. But Miles just uh, puts a hand on her shoulder and tells her to get Birdie to make that statement, seemingly uh, not caring at all about Peg and her livelihood because he doesn't even know who she is. He doesn't give a shit. Mm-mm. Blanc overhears this from behind a big metal butt statue. Um, <laughs> I was getting a little concerned at this point because Blanc, like, he was not an entirely serious character in the first one, but he mm-hmm. was, you know, fairly respectable. So he seemed to be becoming quite a goofy character in this one and that he you know with his wardrobe with his his awkwardness with his uh you know seeming quite overwhelmed by the situations so i was getting a little concerned partly because i thought oh oh no they're gonna make him a goofball here and partly because i mean in the lead up to this film my major concern would be was that like it didn't seem it seemed like they were going to play up him being the new main character Mm -hmm. which in the first film it was uh who who was the young lady who was wrapped up in it all yeah, what was uh, her name? No. The young uh, nurse who was working for the family that yeah, 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 initially yeah. I mean, brought on Blanc. Yeah, so she was really the pinnacle, like the the focus point of the first film. And my concern when they said that like Blanc could be playing a bigger role in the next one was that I didn't think he would be a very good character to to focus on exclusively. Mm-hmm. So I I gotta say like I was I was mentally composing an apology to Ryan Johnson by the end because obviously they pull switcheroos on both of these things shortly after mm-hmm. these scenes but like yeah the him behind the the big butt was mildly concerning yeah i do think that there's something this movie does really well in terms of humor is that it's not like quippy it's not that the characters are cracking jokes but it's very situationally funny um it never feels like blanc is trying to himself be a joke he just kind of is a fish out of water character and that results in some situations that are very funny to the audience but in the to the characters who are in it it's just sort of what's happening uh and i think that's a nice mm-hmm. balance to strike for this because it, it's a funny movie like it's not a comedy yeah. but there's funny moments but it never yeah, feels like they're funny. sacrificing the, the yeah it doesn't plot. feel like it feels like Thor, they're just Thor using... four or something where it's like yeah. okay you're just trying to be slapstick and now then now you want us to take you mm-hmm. seriously it does feel all the humor feels earned and the serious moments land because mm-hmm. they've not taken it too far yeah uh, Mar- using... marta was her name by marta the way. yeah, yeah. They're using a lot of, like, screen language and, uh, like, writing techniques to put jokes in at moments where it's appropriate, but not have a character, like, crack a joke necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a very nice balance to strike for an otherwise serious movie um, to give it kind of a a lighter tone to it overall, even if it is, you know, a murder mystery. Yeah, striking a perfect balance between having actual serious emotional moments and being Mm -hmm. really fucking funny. 
So. Case in point, Blanc is walking around the gardens of this estate and lights a cigar and the smoke alarm in the gardens goes off, telling him that it's a smokeless garden and blaring the horn. And when he goes to throw the cigar into the water to put it out, uh, he is warned to keep our water clean by the same alarm. And he just sort of like hustles on out. It's like, fuck, Very it. funny little moment. It's not that he's yep. trying to make a joke. It's just situationally incredibly funny. While he's hustling, he spots Duke on his jog and we turn to Duke's, pers- Duke's perspective as he spots uh, Whiskey and Miles hooking up through one of the many glass walls of this mansion. Yeah. Uh, he's spooked by, spooked by a snapping branch for a moment. A lot of SP sounds in this one. <laughs> spooked by a snapping branch, uh, but he doesn't notice that from behind him, Blanc, who leans out very slightly from behind a bush, is also watching Duke. Again, that's very funny blocking. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Night falls inside the mansion in uh, the dining room, which is this massive space packed with art and glass. All of the guests assemble for dinner. Um, I am a little bit of an art nerd and some of these paintings uh notably the rothko which is the big block of like red and blue are hung incorrectly um uh-huh. that one is upside down and i think a few of the others might have also been like oh, that's taken really very much out of their context or like very slightly off but that's just a fun thing to note is that like this room looks very wealthy and impressive but if you look too closely at it it's a little something's a little off and there's also that delightful naked fo- uh, painting that he's, oh my uh, God. he's had. Oh, clearly, <laughs> Edward Norton's had commissioned of himself. Yes. Uh, so, Miles. Miles is making a bunch of custom cocktails for everyone based on their favorite drinks. Uh, and Blanc tries a taco with some of Jeremy Renner's hot sauce in the back <sighs> and takes and puts a bottle in his pocket. It's the perfect the perfect use of celebrity name dropping in this. Yes. They're it's like, the same thing can... where they talk about, like, uh, I think it's... Jared Leto's... Jared Leto's kombucha, right? Yes. He, yeah. Yes. It was like meant to be like this uh, fruit drink with like, what, 11% alcohol? 9% ABD. 9%. Claire asks Miles about the framed print of the Mona Lisa front and center in the room, but Miles reveals that it is indeed the actual Mona Lisa on loan from the Louvre. Uh, and he demonstrates his security measures, which all are, like go off on like a hair trigger, basically, if there's any sort of loud noise or flame in the room. But he also points out that he's included an override button hidden in one of the statues in the room, which he then demonstrates. Anyone familiar with the Chekhov of it all is at this point like there is no way that that override yeah. button does not come into use later on. <laughs> but he keeps reminding us that Mona Lisa's there because when there's there's mm-hmm. a the, in the next scene when people are arguing. The, the glass safety shield is constantly, constantly slamming down, down and being reset and slamming down again whenever mm-hmm. someone like slams their glass down too hard and stuff like that. So we're constantly on edge about this cocked Chekhov's painting thing. <laughs> yes. Like, What's going to happen? But they, then, like, the Mona Lisa is clearly extremely important to Miles because mm-hmm. his entire life's dream is uh, tied up in this metaphor about the yes. Mon- like he wants to create something that's mentioned in the same breath as the Mona Lisa, which mm-hmm. everyone tries to explain means immortality, but mostly just means I'm a pretentious git who wants to be important. So. Yes. And this is something he's been repeating since their days at the Glass Onion. Uh, Claire then further questions why he would have the Mona Lisa in his dining room. And he explains that in one week, he's going to invite all of these world leaders over um, to unveil the future and holds up a tiny crystal, which puts Claire and Lionel immediately on edge. He tosses it over to uh, Benoit Blanc, who catches it. And Miles explains that this is a new solid hydrogen fuel called Clear with a K which Miles wants to use to power the whole world and homes all over the world by the end of the year. 
This really sets Lionel off, who thought that he was clear with Miles that he needed two more years to test this stuff and make sure that it was safe and viable. But as he rants, Miles stops him and gestures around, indicating that the whole mansion that they're in right now is run off of this fuel clear. This clearly terrifies Lionel and Claire, uh, and Lionel's like, I, I gotta get out of this, but uh, Miles tells him it's too late, that this is already happening, and they sit down for dinner. Miles explains that this weekend they're gonna be going through a little murder mystery party, that in this very room tonight he will be murdered, and he's tasking all of them with solving it. It's just a game, there's clues hidden all over the yeah. island, they have to name the killer, tell them how they did it, and what the motive was by the end of the weekend. I, yeah, I, and I love the, the, the dialogue that sort of pops up here, because like, mm-hmm. uh, Blanc is like, well, what do we win? And it's like, <laughs> I, what, what do you want? It's like, I, I mean, I was just wondering, like, do we win an iPad or something? It's like, well, I mean, yeah, you can have an iPad. Like, I, I don't mm-hmm. actually need an iPad. I was just, I was just like, <laughs> why is this so funny? It's so simple. But <laughs> yeah. It's it's the one person who's questioning like what's happening and what this like yeah. very convoluted game is. Miles is really talking up how difficult this mystery is and that it will take the whole mm-hmm. weekend. And Blanc then asks if they've started. And while Miles tries to monologue about you know the Holmes and Watson of it all, Benoit Blanc blurts out the right answer before the murder even happens. Um, it was Birdie with a rigged crossbow in revenge for Miles stealing her signature Ren Diamond. Um, yep. Miles looks furious. I love that. He just sit, he just sits down and he's just got mm-hmm. this sort of this rage, this suppressed rage on his face. While while this this like clearly very complex trap goes off uh, with mm-hmm. a fake arrow and the blood spurting out and everything. Yeah. While Benoit Blanc is just like, oh, that was fun. He just like runs through the whole mystery. He's like, oh, this is very, very clever, very fun. He delivers a little one-liner about the fashionista's crime clashing with Benoit Blanc and then sits down all proud of himself, which I just love that for yeah. love that for Benoit. Miles then brings Blanc up to his office in the Glass Onion and he's like, hey. And he throws an iPad at him, which is really funny. Yeah. Um, Miles is annoyed that the mystery wasn't the easy because the mystery, as mentioned, wasn't the easiest to set up. He had Jillian Flynn write it and everything. Uh, And now he's like, I don't even know what to do with the rest of the weekend. And Blanc explains that he ruined the game on purpose. Kind of mentions the glass onion metaphor for the first time here. It it seems complex, but when you look into it, the center's in plain sight. Similarly, this weekend, Miles has taken seven people with real life reasons to wish him harm, placed the idea of murder in their heads, and, you know, brought them into this room. He's essentially placed a loaded gun on a table and turned all the lights off. Which not only was a really good line, but also was like the first indication that there's something more going on with Benoit than mm-hmm. he's been letting. Because he seemed quite over, you know, just kind of a passenger on the plot until now. And you kind of, right. you know, seemed like he was just kind of being a goofy side character until this point. And he says, like, this is sort of the first indication we've got that he's not, he's not been letting on a certain, mm-hmm. like, subplot, you might say, uh, that's been going yes. behind the scenes, which I, I sort of perked up at. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it shows that he's, you know, he's kind of hyper aware of his surroundings in a way and he is the detective perennially like he's always on um and he's also clocked everyone's motivations uh lionel is being forced to go along with the powering of a manned rocket with clear claire miles is threatened to support her opponent if he just if she doesn't approve approve of his power plant um birdie is being made to take the fall for the sweetie pants uh being made in a sweatshop in, in Bangladesh. Sweatshop. Oh, the sweatshop. <laughs> and Miles is the main investor. Duke wants to kill him for reasons we don't, uh, we all know. Which yes, we've now we've now seen. We've now Benoit seen. Although Miles thinks he doesn't know about that, but we all do. And this, I want to clock this now because this is incredibly clever writing that on a rewatch has a different meaning entirely. But we haven't gotten to the twist that makes that relevant. So I'm, we'll, we'll get to. It. <laughs> 
But I think this is like, it really exemplifies why the writing in this movie is so, so clever um, yeah. because of the double meanings that often are in these it's, conversations. I'm finding it difficult to describe these things without jumping ahead and saying, and it's really clever because. <laughs> because, you'll see, I promise. <laughs> you'll see, this is all, or every molecule of this film it comes mm-hmm. back later and is relevant. If you haven't gone and watched it yet, pause the podcast and do that now. My God, yeah. Blanc tells Miles that to to take his presence here as a sign, uh, because at least one person on this island thinks that this is not a game. Otherwise, why would he be here? Blanc then switches to admiring the famous napkin on which Miles sketched out the original idea for Alpha uh, to sh- and showed it to Andy at their local bar, The Glass Onion. And Miles says how Andy used to tell him the truth all the time, and now everyone else just says you know just once what they think their o's and once what they think they're oh my god i can't talk today once what they think they're owed and that he really misses that bar and that kind of truthful environment which is clearly bullshit because he's intentionally cultivated this Mm -hmm. uh power over all his friends so they are in a position of having to be yes men so again it's just showing off that he's all talk in regards to these Mm -hmm. things Inside the dining room, everyone is sort of sitting around in the conversation pit, drinking and lounging. Um, Duke is getting like near constant Google alerts because he set them up for every member of his friend group and also just movies. <laughs> the word, yes, the word movies is like what is like what is like I don't know. I like movies. <laughs> yeah, and it's setting off the Mona Lisa security alarm every time that there's a little ding from the Google alert. Duke announces his intentions to leave the next day, which Whiskey seems annoyed with. Um, but Lionel is also on team leaving along with Peg, though Birdie wants to stick around and be miserable in paradise. Andy then makes herself known to the group and asks the others if the others all ask why she's even here. Claire starts going off about how they all stuck with Miles at the trial and she got her money from Alpha for years. So what does Andy even want from all of them? But that really sets Andy off since um, Miles, in her mind, is the one who got his from all of hers and her work. They ask what it is that Andy even wants, Claire being especially harsh, and Andy just demands the truth. Duke is the one who volunteers to give it to her, and he explains that all of them are holding on to this golden tit, and she she's lost at this game. Yeah, she just is something like, yeah, loser. I mean, we are in fact being shitheads, mm-hmm. but you lost the game, so what do you expect? Like, yeah, he's tired of pretending that she's just the victim, she couldn't hack it. At this seeming defeat, Andy storms off as Blanc and Miles rejoin the party. Claire and Lionel tell Miles that they're leaving in the morning, which he seems averse to, wanting everyone to just keep hanging out. Benoit asks after Andy... Uh, Duke perking up gets a Google alert that he just has to show Miles this very second about his uh, their little conversation about his channel blowing up and how this changes things and maybe now they can talk about Alpha News. Yeah, which yeah, which uh, Miles is suddenly okay with. He's like, yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah, he's like really excited about this and he's like, we gotta you know have a toast or something. So he goes to fix a drink for himself and he monologues the whole way about the dangerous idea of a murder party uh, eventually having everyone distractedly look over at Bertie's spinning flashy metallic printed dress and sitting down next to Duke. Which to be fair is a pretty fucking good dress. It was a lovely dress. Very shiny. I could see how the twirl would be quite (laughs) like a Mm -hmm. cat looking at a laser pointer. It's the same kind of effect. Uh, And Miles begins to toast to the disruptors, but immediately after the toast, Duke starts to choke, collapsing in the conversation pit on the table and eventually uh, dying despite any the efforts of his friends. Benoit declares... Which wasn't that great. Like, the efforts were just like, is he he, he choking? Nope. Uh, It all happened very quickly to to their, you know, slight I mean, yeah, admittedly, none of them were doctors. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. the scientist probably has a doctorate, but he's not that sort of doctor. Yeah. uh, 
Benoit declares Duke dead, and the mood is uh, irrevocably changed. Irrevocably? Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I was trying. I was actually. I wasn't mocking you there. I was genuinely trying to say the word, and it also irrevocably fun. changed. Yeah. <laughs> the minute I try to think about a word, is the minute I can no longer pronounce it. Makes sense. Uh, that's like me with ev- literally every word I ever say. So. Yeah. Benoit's like, he didn't choke. He, you know, we won't know the actual cause of death without an autopsy, though. And asks Miles to call his boat to get them immediately. But he's sort of, Miles is sort of in like shock. So Lionel's the one who runs off to the radio room. Uh, Blanc asks everyone not to disturb the body until the police arrive. And uh, at the word police, Miles and Claire and a lot of the others start to like perk up. Like, oh, we think we need to get the police involved. Do you think that Duke was murdered? And Benoit reveals that indeed he does think that something was put into Duke's drink. Being shocked that the police have to be called is a very sort of throwback to the Agatha Christie sort of days Mm -hmm. where people dying wasn't necessarily a thing you would necessarily have to in you know if if it was clearly an accident you don't have to speak to the police yes. it's like i can't really imagine someone from the year of our lord 2020 like seeing someone die and think well do we ha-, you know we could just bury them you know? <laughs> yeah it's like, is, yeah of course very... the fucking police have to come he just dropped dead it's a nice little kind of like callbacky moment it shows yeah. the building blocks of like where this movie is coming from and its roots in the radio room, Lionel can't get the boat to come till morning because the dock is a, not a pichette, but a piece of shit. Piece of shit, yes. Turns it out was... <laughs> the, it was intended to like dramatically rise from the water at low mm-hmm. tide, so therefore it is completely useless at anything other than low tide. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't float, so it's not going to like rise with the water level. Yeah. Um, and since it's the only landing point to the island, uh, they can't get there until 6am at the earliest the next day. Benoit then begins to take charge, telling everyone to go to their rooms and lock the doors until 5.30 when they'll reconvene in this room, and he'll stay up with the body. But as he begins to take charge, Miles notices the glass that Duke dropped. It's not Duke's glass, but Miles is. It has his name on it and everything. He points out the glass and is now suspicious of everyone. To be fair, his reaction would be mine if I realized I was in a murder mystery and I was probably intended to be the victim, Mm -hmm. i.e. hiding behind the detective. (laughs) Yes. Uh, meanwhile, this whole time, like Duke's fo- Duke's phone, Google alerts have been going off, and so Blanc starts to try and look for it, try and silence it, and Miles begins to demand everyone stay in this room until the boat arrives. Miles notices that Andy and Whiskey are MIA, and Blanc can't find Duke's phone, but as he searches, he notices that Duke's gun is also MIA. So we've got missing people, uh, a missing, missing victim, missing phone, a missing, missing, gun, phone, which is missing gun. Concerning, never yeah. good. Benoit knows they need to find Andy, but uh, the hourly dong goes off. And at this point, Miles kind of focuses for a minute before he begins rambling about the next part of the game where he had planned for the power to go off for 20 minutes. It goes dark at the 10 o'clock dong. Yep. Which again, I, I, we, we kind of find out later this may not be entirely genuine, but his reaction was quite relatable. It was like just screaming, mm-hmm. not today, and just booking it. Which yep. I was like, yeah, again, that would be my reaction in this situation. Mm-hmm. Everyone freaks out, especially Birdie. Uh, Whiskey busts back into the room with the spear gun, declaring that Andy was rustling through <laughs> the room. So the maybe she killed gun. Duke. So good. Because <laughs> you hear when Duke's pack is like, Mom, find my spear gun. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to the last movie you brought into this podcast, this movie does a lot of like really good setup and payoff. Yep. <laughs> I think I think maybe that's what I really like about films because you're right that is that has been the connection between all my mm-hmm. requests is that like I really like it when every part of a film comes back later. 
Yeah, it, it, there's not a lot left uh, on the floor here. If like, you notice something ev- strange, it's going to yep. be relevant again. Everything's a Chekhov's gun. Like, mm-hmm. every painting on the wall, every glass, every gun, every... Well, you know, <laughs> every... Like, literally, Chekhov's gun was, mm-hmm. was involved. Yep, and Chekhov's spear gun list, we forget. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Everyone's running around looking for Andy and for each other. Uh, Blanc runs through the kitchen at one point and notices that one knife is missing from the like <laughs> knife rack. And he's just like, ah, oh, man. I thought that was so funny. This is the one thing, like Chekhov's knife really doesn't come back, but it was a very funny That's moment of like point. being a very genre savvy detective. He's like, ah, oh, not the knife. <laughs> yeah, but also love that the, the knife rack is displayed in a way where if one is missing, it's insanely it's obvious. It's insanely <laughs> obvious. It's a big, clear, plastic, upright yeah. knife rack. He runs outside to the steps and runs right into Andy, where he tries to bring her up to speed. He's like, Benoit's like, oh, you don't have Duke's gun. She's like, no, no, what are you talking about? And as they sort of talk and he tries to get some information out of her, said gun in the shadows takes aim at them. It fires through a glass uh, yeah. window, I feel like a two-way, well, one-way window. Yeah, it's uh, like uh, one-way glass um, yeah. uh, on the outside staircase. But before it, it hits, Benoit uh, is trying to get one last piece of information yes. that he needs to solve it all that only Andy can provide. But Almost she cartoonishly can... setting this up. Yes, yeah. you're the only person with the answer that I need right now. Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, immediately when she gets shot. Uh, and as the lights all go back on, Benoit is standing crying over the murdered Andy as everyone else enters from all around him around the stairs. It could have been any one of them in the dark. Benoit tells everyone to go inside. Andy isn't going anywhere anytime soon, but it is time to finish this. He sends Peg to radio the mainland to send boats. Uh, Banksy be damned. They can beach if they need to. Beach the boats, yep. Mm -hmm. And Lionel asks for an explanation, and Blanc says that he can peel back the layers, but only one person could tell us who killed Andy, who killed Cassandra Brand. Um, and we go back in time to the opening of the movie. So we're going to begin sort of like a This is where, yes, this is where the penny drops... Yeah. yeah, we find we we yeah we go back and sort of start with a flashback, and then we sort of resee a lot mm-hmm. of the film in a completely new context, which is a difficult thing to pull off. Yeah, in filmmaking these days, especially if you see it coming. But like this was probably one of the best uses of it. Mm-hmm. I think they do a really good job of like we know where the story is going, so they create a lot of kind of dramatic tension through that, uh, but they still manage to make it extremely twisty. This is the first of a few twists we'll see uh, because Hugh Grant opens the door of Benoit's apartment. (laughs) We have to assume his husband, Hugh Grant. Mr. Blanc. Uh Uh, And who is at the door but Andy with a big old box. Uh, When she opens it up, inside is the shattered box that she had busted up in her garage, and she explains to Benoit, as they sit and have some coffee, that her name is Helen, Helen Brand. She's a teacher and the sister of Cassandra Brand, Andy. Wait a minute. Using a twin sister should have been an insulting insulting (laughs) plot twist, but I was was here for it by the time it showed Mm -hmm. up in this film. Yeah. Uh, She explains that two days ago she received the call that her twin had committed suicide in her car in the garage with the engine running. Uh, And she kind of gives Benoit a little background about her sister and how she kept all these like journals her whole life. She knew she was going to go on to do great things. And they had this whole game when they were kids called Rich Bitch. And that's how Andy would later go on to talk. 
but yesterday, while she was cleaning out and reminiscing through these journals in Andy's house, she received the box from Miles. Benoit asks what it is that he can do for her, and Helen explains that she doesn't think her sister committed suicide because while looking through my sister's email to see if she had left anything uh, like a note because she hadn't left one, I, she found the most recently sent email was a picture of uh, Andy holding a red envelope and the message, I finally found it and I'm going to use it to burn his whole empire down. I'm giving you all one last chance to make things right. Sent to all of the disruptors, as Helen calls them, of course, the shitheads. She says that no one had emailed back, but the very next day her sister was dead in the garage. Uh, and as she searched her sister's house, she couldn't find that red envelope from the email anywhere. So she wants to hire Benoit Blanc to go to the island and investigate. And he's like, hey, just a reminder, I'm not Batman. You know, I can gather evidence, but it's up to the courts to ultimately decide what happens. As he's sort of talking about how there's not too, too much he can do, he kind of has an idea. Uh, he asks Helen if she's ever made a statement about her sister's death, and she hasn't yet. She didn't know that was something she had to do. And he develops this outrageous idea further, asking her to come with him to the island disguised as her sister. Um, and while at first she's like, no way, uh, he then explains that if Andy is also there, no one will notice the presence of the famous detective just kind of appearing out of the blue. Um, and no one would suspect that she's impersonating Andy if they don't know that Andy is dead yet. Blanc will do all the inspecting. She just has to be there to pretend to be her sister. Yeah. I also, uh, is this, I think, believe this is where we sort of flash back and we see uh, her, like, Andy's original relationship with uh, the Glass Onion and the crew there, or is that later on? A little later on. We're, we're okay. sort of, you know, catching the, the gist the of it. Kind of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, she asks Benoit if it's safe, and he admits that no, it's not, because one person, the killer, will know the truth, and he's no bodyguard. But despite the risk, she wants to go to get the son of a bitch who killed her sister. The day before getting on the boat, uh, she and Benoit are having dinner, and now dressed as Andy and doing her rich bitch act, um, she, you know, kind of brings him up to speed about what's going on, and he runs down the plan. He's like, I'm gonna get there early and throw him off guard at the pier. You just have to be cold and withholding on the boat. Um, and uh, in my research, uh, Benoit explains that he's found a reason for each of them to murder Miles, but not Andy. Um, Helen asks if it could have been Miles who murdered Andy, and while Benoit can't rule it out, um, Miles isn't an idiot, so why would he risk committing murder after a very public court case when he's the only one who could really be hurt by this napkin coming forward? This is then when we flash back in time to see all of their experiences at the Glass Onion as Helen walks Blanc through her sister's journals, uh, showing that uh, all these guys used to hang out at this bar where Andy, not Miles, was the leader of their little group, at the time, Birdie was a washed-up model, Duke was just a nerd doing video game tournaments, Claire had lost a city council race, Lionel was a substitute teacher, but Andy saw their potential and eventually was the one who introduced Miles to the group. And while at first no one liked him because he'd say some stupid stuff yeah, like, I want to be responsible for something mentioned in all, the same breath as the Mona Lisa. Yeah, all <laughs> the shit that they would say was like signs of his genius once mm -hmm. he was rich were, take, were completely, like they were completely contempt- held in contempt while he was poor so yeah so really calling out the fact that like they would completely base their interpretation of his words on how much mm -hmm. money he had not on how much value the actually words themselves had exactly um andy encouraged him 
them all to give him a chance and eventually everyone's fortune started to change through small steps uh, and all of this time Andy Which, to was to be fair like yeah. Miles was sort of helping with he was yeah. while he wasn't actually doing any of these things he was encouraging other people to find their full potential exactly um, all of this time Andy was working on the napkin idea for Alpha that would eventually be what's st- started her and miles on said idea and we clearly see andy being the one writing on the napkin while miles is shooting pool but aware that she has this idea cooking as alpha succeeded they brought everyone along for the ride and it blew up Uh, miles's aspirations kept getting bigger and bigger as the company grew eventually he met a sketchy scientist who sold him on this hydrogen fuel and he kind of became obsessed with the idea He wanted to use the entire resources of Alpha to launch this thing, but Andy wasn't in. She was worried that this fuel could literally blow up the world. because she wasn't insane. Mm -hmm. Uh, And threatened to walk and take half of the company. And when she did, she found out that Miles had the lawyers work out the contract so that she was cut out entirely. So she sued him to say that the original napkin idea was hers, not his, and she actually should be the full owner of the company. Um, But since she didn't have the original napkin, she lost this court case because the entire rest of the disruptors uh, gave testimony that sided with Miles, not her. Every, like, every flashback uh, regarding Miles in this is a work of genius because every single outfit he's wearing and every single pose he does is a reference to another disgraced billionaire. Because he's dressed as Steve Jobs during Mm -hmm. when they're discussing the hydrogen fuel, he's got the turtleneck on. Uh, yep. he, the, the, he's got the pose where he's when he pretended he'd written the you know we were sh- showing off the napkin. That's that's I believe a reference to a famous picture of Elizabeth Holmes, who had falsely claimed to invented this amazing new thing that mm-hmm. later turned out to be a fake. But he's he's doing the same expression, the same pose in it. So like he, it's basically just tapping into every uh, sort of every claim to be self-made millionaire who turned out just to be grifting off other people's talents of the mm-hmm. last like 20 years or so so it's like it's just it's a work of art of uh douchebag billionaires yeah um and after the verdict of the trial miles had as you mentioned quote unquote found the napkin in his handwriting and he did a bunch of interviews about it which sort of swayed the public to his side and all of this had worked until andy had apparently found the book that she had slipped the actual napkin into years and years ago and she then put it into an envelope sent the email and immediately like very quickly the next day committed was suicide murdered. apparently yeah. yep. committed suicide quote unquote um every disruptor had perjured themselves to protect miles and screw over andy so in order to figure out which one of them was the one who would then have killed her they needed to clue style figure out mode of murder and opportunity um how the murder was done they all know because of course andy's method of suicide is known so really it's just mode of an opportunity that's relevant for this movie yep. Uh, and Helen makes a little chart in her notebook uh, to keep track of all this clue style again, admitting that she's a little scared of what they have to do, but she doesn't back out when given the chance they are on their way to the island. This is where she also is like, oh, uh, like it shows that Benoit is also very bad at clue because he, <laughs> and is quite bitter about this. It's like, mm-hmm. now I'm terrible. This is a terrible game. I don't understand. You know, <laughs> yeah, just going yes. around there, just looking, for, asking questions and stuff. It's and it, it, it's clearly, like, it's clearly like a little a bit of a a sore spot for him that he's really, Mm -hmm. really bad at Clue. (laughs) Uh, On the boat, when we saw uh, Andy dramatically watching The Wake earlier, it was actually Helen trying not to puke, which was very endearing. I love that. Recontextualized. She's just like, just Mm -hmm. pose, just pose, just pose. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and meanwhile, when they get on the island and her and Benoit uh, meet as he's tying his shoe, he's actually telling her to go snoop while Miles yep. pulls him aside to explain that his presence on the island. And we follow Helen slash Andy this time instead of... Uh, oh, and I lose... No, okay. I'm sorry. I lost you for yep. a second there. Um, and we follow Helen slash Andy this time as she runs all over the island as opposed to following yep. Benoit Blanc. Which, again, in this, in this twist, they've recontextualized the whole film and addressed mm-hmm. every concern I had about it because now Blanc is no longer the, the main POV, you know, the focus character. And all his previous sort of goofy behavior has now been explained as part of this greater plan. He's been sending people up at their ease about his, mm-hmm. his existence there. So I was just like all of my concerns about the movie had all suddenly been fixed all at once. Yeah, and they do a really good job of moving you through the entire plot up till now without taking the same amount of time to go through it. Like, this is a long flashback, admittedly. It's like a good, you know... And yeah, the longer it goes on, the worse you feel about the fact that this poor woman's about to be shot dead at the end of it. So I was starting to get really anxious by the end of Mm -hmm. it because I was like, wow, she's really cool because she's really doing, like, without really trying, doing an amazing job at being a detective because she keeps wandering into the right place at the right time Mm -hmm. and writing down all the important things. Like, Benoit's kind of... You think a little... You get the impression he's a little disappointed there's less work for him to do which is like wow you are, you are nailing this yeah she runs into whiskey while looking for the pool uh, and whiskey gives her one of the spiked kombuchas at this point important note that i missed earlier is that helen does not drink um yep. whiskey is telling her all about how miles splurged on her for her birthday giving her this really fancy necklace and like coming to visit her in new york uh and how she thinks that it's really shitty how all of the disruptors treated her that the only reason whiskey puts up with um, Duke is to kind of build her own brand and channel. Uh, it is interesting because she's like, yeah, I want to get into politics someday. And it's like very clear that she's this sort of airheaded arm candy, uh, you know, right wing a- act is all just pure mm-hmm. act for her. It's just a stepping stone in her career. Yeah. So. At the pool, they separate and Helen goes away drinking the kombucha and listening in to Lionel and Claire chat by the edge of the pool above her. Uh, where Claire admits to Lionel that she signed off on the power plant uh, using Clear, and Lionel admits that he signed off on putting Clear on a manned mission, and they're both kind of hoping that Andy is wrong about how dangerous it was, but Lionel knows the science behind it and is certain that putting Clear in household piping will cause it to leak hydrogen gas, turning homes into the Hindenburg. Not great. Is, yep. <laughs> possibly the, as the worst this could possibly be, but... Mm-hmm. But because uh, it also was revealed earlier in the party night that this the entire glass, the entire onion, complex glass onion complex has now been converted to run on this. Yeah, so this mm-hmm. crystal gas uh, is pumped in every pipe, and as we find out, is now been slowly leaking hydrogen gas into the entire complex for however long it's been installed. Mm-hmm. So this entire thing is a literal tinderbox. Yep, well, a figurative tinderbox. Helen drops a recorder into Birdie's bag while she's having her big talk about. Uh, you know, how she used to be the big person instead of Miles. Uh, and then later, uh, Helen and Blanc are able to meet up. And this is where Blanc is, of course, impressed at all the information that she's gathered. She says that she can't imagine anyone killing her sister, even with all of the motives that she's uncovered for pretty much every single person on this island. But Benoit tells her to think of the crime. It was uh, anyone could have been the one to go apologize and try and make amends. And the murder itself was very nonviolent. They wouldn't even have seen her die. It would have been just like her going to sleep. So they're all more than capable of having pulled it off. Benoit then warns her to slow down on the kombucha. It is, after all, Jared Leto's hard kombucha, 9% ABV. And she doesn't drink. But Andy just wants to keep pushing um, to see what they can find out to keep pushing forward. Uh, but, of course, Benoit cautions her about it being too dangerous, which is... 
just making the whole tragedy of her death even even yep. more precedent in the mind of the audience. During the disruptors monologue that uh, Miles had given earlier about what they were, this is when Helen chugs the kombucha and goes off on Miles, stumbling away afterwards because she is not distraught, but quite drunk. Claire catches up with her and Claire, uh, you know, gets a little bit of a taste of her own medicine when um, Helen goes off about how Claire couldn't even look her in the eyes in court, uh, which is yep. when and Duke just, shows up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just points out like, yeah, you say you all came around to the house to talk to me, but like, were you doing it to say you're going to support me or were you just trying to stop me from revealing this shit about mm-hmm. you, you know? Yeah, Duke makes his appearance. Claire asks about the email that they all received. And she's like, all of us tried to call you, but your phone was off. And then when we couldn't reach you, Lionel and I went to your house. Duke had gotten there right before us. And after we left, Birdie had went back later and none of us could get in or none of us saw you. But notably, what's important there is Duke showed up first, then Lionel and Claire, then Birdie. So that's the order of all of them having possible opportunity. And, you know, Duke makes a big deal several times about being nearly pancaked yes. by a car on the way out. He was mm-hmm. almost got into a crash. Helen kind of takes all that information in and Claire tries to ask what she's pulling. But Helen just a- counters by asking if they all rushed over to tell her that they're on her side or just to stop her from using that envelope, as you mentioned, and storms off, which is where the movie had picked up initially. This is where Benoit sets off the alarm. The two of them then meet up in the gym, which is where we'll get our... Uh, Serena Williams cameo in the background. Which, if you think of, like, if she's just, like, contracted to be on a on a video chat for a certain time of day, you have to wonder what she's witnessed so far in yeah. all of this. Because she's like, she has, Serena Williams probably has quite a lot of, in, like, secret information about this, like, a lot of goings on in both this company, this, per- like, and these like illegal goings on and murders yeah conceptually very cool to get a workout with serena williams but maybe not the most well thought through idea which might be thematic later (laughs) uh they recap the timeline and come to the conclusion that all of them had opportunity um and as they sort of ponder what could be possible the fax machine in the gym goes off and benoit realizes that one number goes to every single one of miles's fax machines including the message from Andy about the envelope, and when they look at who faxed that to Miles, it was Lionel the night before Andy's death. So everyone knew about the envelope and the email, even those who maybe don't ever check their email. Um, as they're pondering this, Duke busts in and they both hide. Uh, and on the phone, Duke tells someone to push someone else for an answer, and quickly it's revealed that this is uh, Whiskey and Miles in the room earlier that we caught Duke watching. Um, which not only Benoit, but Helen also saw Helen being the one who had snapped the branch earlier. Um, Whiskey is in bed with Miles and once again asks if he'll do it for her. But what she means is, um, will you put Duke on Alpha News? Uh, And once more, Miles says no, Duke just like can't be holding this kind of reputation he's you know pushing these like rhino pills and everything. We just can't have that on Alpha News. Basically, he's outgrown Duke being... Mm I'm I'm blanking on like he's being basically just uh, Andrew Taint Taint yeah. now uh, yeah. and various other right wingers. Uh, so yeah, just like yeah, I'm actually trying to build an actual news network here, so I mm-hmm. can't keep let, letting this crazy douchebag pop up on it with the the Daily Wire or whatever the fuck that. Yeah, exactly. As Helen continues to sneak around, Peg is she spots peg arguing with birdie and when they storm out of their room she retrieves the recorder from birdie's bag and on tape birdie tells peg that she's going to sign the statement reveals 
her secret phone on which is an email from the sweaty sweetie pants contractor two years ago acknowledging that the factory is a known sweatshop and peg realizes that birdie thought sweatshops were where they made sweatpants and had approved the factory i love the delivery of that she was like birdie please tell me you didn't think sweatshops (laughs) are where they made sweatpants and birdie's just like well of course i did it's so good it's so good Mm -hmm. how they deliver these lines and kind of similarly callously, Birdie's like, I- I'm just going to take the fall because Miles will pay, you know, 30000 or whatever it is to get me out of this company. And yeah. I will do anything to survive myself, which is very... I love that she says survive. What she meant was stay rich. Yeah, you know? exactly. And also very disregards, like, Peg's stake in all of this. Because if Birdie it, takes the yeah. fall, Peg is still Poor screwed. Peg. Uh, I love that, like... Peg is definitely a character, but because she's not, like, one of the potential murderers, mm-hmm. uh, even Benoit ignores her all the way through it. I think the only two people to ever acknowledge she's even there is Birdie when she's directly talking to her and that one scene where Miles is directly confronted. Because, like, even during the bit where the lights go off, like, Birdie's like, oh, I have my, my phone has a torch app, and she goes off and finds it. And by the time she finds it and switches it on, everyone's just left. So Yeah. Again, it's this like hyper rich person ignoring their uh, their staff, who is really the only reason that they're fully functioning. Yes, I um, would love to have someone like Peg working, for, like, because <laughs> she'd be like, the, it sounds like the ultimate assistant in that she is able mm-hmm. to put out fires and predict these things and do all the actual hard work. Well, your whole resume is Birdie. You better be able to deal with Birdie. <laughs> True. Not that I ever planned to do what Birdie did. And what, what was the thing she tweeted at the beginning? It was like, oh, well, in my defense, I didn't know that was, like, you know, ethnically charged. I thought it was just a word for being money-grubbing or something. And she and the word yes. she said was, was, was Jewy, I believe. So it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yes. Similarly, she is uh, the extremely out-of-touch, uh, frequently saying offensive thing celebrity. They reference, like... You compared yourself to Harriet Tubman. You wore a Beyonce (sighs) costume. In my defense, I didn't know what a blood diamond was. Yeah, Yeah. that kind of stuff. They all have motive and opportunity. So what's left? Uh, The envelope. Whoever has it is the one who killed Helen's sister, Andy. It has to be hidden in someone's room. So Andy needs an opportunity to search all of the rooms. And that's why she got that whole outburst going during the drinks earlier. The fight that she lost with Duke. It was... Such a crushing defeat that no one followed her, and that gave her an opportunity to search all of their rooms while they were otherwise occupied. And despite her ransacking, she found nothing. Uh, and we kind of get a little scene where it's cross-cut between her scouring yeah, the rooms seeing, and Duke what dying she was doing at cocktail while Duke hour. Was, mm-hmm. was horribly dying horribly. Yep. Uh, she busts into Daryl's room at one point, just a reminder that he's also there. He seems fine. Just <laughs> just Daryl's just like, "Hey, you want to hang out?" Oh, okay, she's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she gets a bunch of notifications on her phone and when she finally checks them and w- realizes that they're all well wishes her sister's death is public knowledge now um, I would say she, commiserations well wishes seems um. <laughs> yeah it was, it was a lot of like you know when someone passes away it's like oh I'm so sorry for your loss kind of deal yeah lot, I guess so yes yeah, people like reaching out so mm-hmm. also, which also sort of reinforces that she's quite a good person like yes Someone that people would care enough about. Third grade teacher who, by all accounts, seems to be a very sweet woman, which makes her death even more tragic. While she's searching Duke's room, Whiskey comes back uh, distraught and finding her mid-ransack. Helen realizes the party is over, but does not know why Whiskey is upset. Um, She misunderstands what Whiskey... Because Whiskey says, I left Duke, and now I feel terrible. What she meant is, I left him dead on the floor was... Uh, Helen misinterprets that as I have dumped him. So yes. she's like, you're better off without him. He had that coming. Mm-hmm. So Whiskey's is- just like, 
You psychopath! Not the right speech to have given about the now dead Duke, and uh, when the lights go off, Andy has to run because Whiskey has grabbed a spear gun, assuming that the... Uh, Ellen has to run. Uh, Helen has to run, I should say. Assuming that, you know, she is the one who has murdered Duke. We see the whole lights off go down again. Benoit and Helen meet up on the steps where they begin to talk. Benoit bringing her up to speed about what's happened so far tonight. And she says that the envelope wasn't in anyone's room. And they both realize it must be in the glass onion. It's the only room they haven't searched. But that doesn't tell them who gave it to Miles in the first place. Benoit begins his little speech about one last piece of information, which is when Helen is shot. It is incredibly tragic. The music really swells. Like the scoring in this scene is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. We see her lie back. And then she sits right back up because Helen is not dead. That is the next twist of this movie. Uh, She was knocked down by the the shot, but saved by the incredibly thick notebook of her sisters that she'd been carrying around. And uh, the murderer has bit, already scampered off Bit of a cop out, but I'll, yeah, I was happy yeah, to see it, even if it was, it was a little bit magic. But you know, I liked it. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. I I like the twist a lot. I like that she gets to still be the the most important character. Um, yeah. Would a notebook have stopped it? I don't know, but I I don't know much about guns. Like that looked like a 45 to me, which probably wouldn't have been stopped. But it's it yeah it I don't know. Maybe it was mm-hmm. a like a Little, little gun. It's the kind of like twist that you would get in a very classic murder mystery. Like that's the kind yes. of thing that would work in like a Poirot or a, a Columbo some, type show. <laughs> yeah, some Paul. Well, it's more like a, uh, like an action hero sort of thing. Some personal yeah. object is what saved you. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, it was it wasn't like it wasn't foreshadowed because she keeps referencing this notebook and putting it in that pocket and yes. taking it out and putting it back in again. So it's it, it was definitely even if it was a bit sort of of a cop out plot wise, it was definitely earned and foreshadowed correctly. Mm-hmm. So. Realizing the opportunity that they have, uh, Benoit pulls out Jeremy Renner's Chekhov's hot sauce and develops a plan. They use it to fake her looking like she's, you know, been in a bloodied white suit, and yep. he uses a little bit to make himself look like he's been crying. Which, which is so funny because, like, uh, Benoit Blanc's thing for like the last two movies has been that he never actually swears; he always will say something else. I'll say sweet beans or Halle Berry. <laughs> and so this is the moment where, having put this hot sauce in his eyes, he just goes shit balls. <laughs> It's that tough. Uh, apparently, recent news, Jeremy Renner is was in critical condition after a weather incident or accident. I don't know anything else about that. Um, I hope he's fine. Is, Wait, is, is this in real life? That's real life, yeah. Oh, fuck. I didn't know that. No, I, I saw it going around on Twitter or something. I don't really know any further details, but... Um, well, I, hot sauce is okay, in this yeah, movie, okay. so it felt like a good time to just shout that out. Hope you're doing okay. He's um, a problematic person, but uh, yeah, I hope he's not dead. That would be yeah. unfortunate. Uh, Using the hot sauce to fake her death, um, the killer will think that you know she's out of the picture, and he can bring them all inside and buy her a few minutes to get up to the glass onion and find that envelope. The lights go back on. Andy plays dead. Is everyone? You look very shocked. <laughs> like I was I was googling Jeremy Renner. I'm sorry. Uh, he's alive. He's, he's injured but stable right now. I don't know. You'll be hearing this on Monday, so y'all yeah. know more than us when you're hearing this. But uh, From the future. We haven't future. quite caught back up with the plot of the movie. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. But I, yes, I'm back. Sorry. No, no, I was saying us. We, <laughs> Dom oh, yeah. and Sophia, have not caught up with this episode's rejoining point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the lights all go back on in the in the glass onion. Uh, yeah. as well, well, it, well, as a single drop of this hot sauce is slowly yes. waking oh, its way up Oh, that me out more than anything else in this movie. Poor Helen's nose. Yeah, um, Helen like, is playing oh, dead, so and the hot sauce is slowly dripping down her face. 
Once everyone is inside, though, that's when she breaks and like snorts it out and everything. Uh, as Benoit continues his explanation and we catch up with the present, as he brings us around to only one person can tell us who killed Cassandra Brand, there's a slight beat. And then he has to like vamp a little bit. So he starts talking about the glass onion with its center in plain sight. And slowly his vamping kind of ramps up to the truth as he kind of puts the pieces himself together. And I love this. I love the moment you can see, you can tell because of the way that Daniel Craig has acted it. And also like the way the pacing of the scene changes that like he mm-hmm. actually has also solved it. <laughs> Benoit yeah, Blanc it was, in it this goes moment. in there just to... <laughs> just to stall for time and then he's just like wait i do actually know the answer i know i got this um he came into this case expecting expecting complexity intelligence but the truth is in this like mind-numbingly obvious clarity that doesn't even try to hide and as he's saying this helen finds the envelope hidden in plain sight behind miles's copy of the fake napkin and a picture of the glass onion bar um and blanc then lands on inbreviate it's not a word. It's, it's not made a up. Word. It sounds like a word, but it's <laughs> mm-hmm. not. And then he what was the second one was like uh, reclamation is a word, yeah, but is the wrong word for the situation the in which word. it was used. Yeah. yeah. And we and kind it just of goes, you, you get a montage of all these times that Miles has said utter gibberish mm-hmm. all the way through the film. He uses all the wrong words. His dock doesn't float. His wonder fuel is a disaster. He didn't design the mystery. He, he's yeah. paying all these other people to put these clever things together for him. The key to this entire case was staring at Benoit right in the face because like everyone, he had assumed that Miles was a complex genius, but he's not. He's an idiot. He just takes advantage of other people's talents, said Dominic to his editor. Um. <laughs> we're, we're collaborative. It's very yeah. different. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's revealed that the man has never, he's in fact a complete idiot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Bird is just like, oh, it, you're right. It, it's so stupid. It's genius. It's like, no, it's just stupid. Or it's ju- <laughs> just, it's, it's you just can dumb. tell how frustrated he is with the, yeah. the fact that it is it is an idiot yeah. who has been pulling he, all this he off feels, too. He's clearly quite embarrassed he didn't figure out sooner because mm-hmm. he was so invested in finding this genius He wanted this genius mystery and what he was actually doing was playing a game of Clue and so he missed yeah. it a little bit. Miles is like, but, but, you know, someone tried to kill me. And he's like, no, no one was trying to kill you, you idiot. Miles has insisted that Duke took his glass by mistake, but that's just what Miles immediately told them after it happened, kind of yeah. changing and they, they their memories. they show you two shots of it. The one, what, mm-hmm. the, because I'm going to confess something. I saw him give him the glass the first time around, because I remember thinking yes. it's weird that he gave him his glass. And then... I fully thought that I'd made a mistake because the film told me so and they showed it that he'd picked it up. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I could have sworn he gave him that glass. I guess I was wrong. And I was like, and so Benoit was just like, that's what he told you to think. Yes. I'm like, fuck, how did I, I was as dumb as these people. I was as dumb as the characters here. Because mm-hmm. like, I fully registered. It's weird that Miles gave Duke, put his drink in Duke's hand and still accepted when Miles said, I put it on the table and he must have just grabbed it. So I was like, fuck, they got me. Similarly, like, I also noted the shot. I'm like, oh, he took Miles's, like, handed him his glass. But I didn't see the glass had Miles's name on it until the mm. insert shot where we see Miles looking at the glass on the ground. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, I can, now that I know, you know, Miles was the intended target, I can backwards justify it. Maybe it someone had already poisoned it because it was Miles's glass. So when he went yeah. to make the drink, it was already poisoned. And I didn't connect the... 
didn't think there was the motivation of, of yeah, giving it to Duke as opposed <laughs> mm-hmm. to Duke taking it. Which, yes. Which, to be fair, the man would have been an idiot, but he was quite good at, like, stage magic. Mm-hmm. Unless he was good at distracting Duke at just the right moment that he would just take whatever was in his hand. He knew what to say, even if he didn't know what to do. Yeah, and it helps that Duke is an idiot, so... Yes. Miles is the one who killed Duke, because Duke had gotten to Andy's early on the day that she was killed on his motorcycle, and he had seen... Miles driving away in his famous baby blue Porsche uh, and he nearly ran him over and nearly pancaked him as he was leaving and Duke had told them all as much at the pool when they were admiring the baby blue cooler and he had said like that I saw you get, driving yeah, that, that night was, remember that time you almost pancaked me yeah then he references pancaking later this mother, this <laughs> fucking film gave me all the clues and it was just going over mm-hmm. my fuck like I usually pride myself on seeing these things coming a mile away like I'm not even trying and I'm seeing these mm-hmm. plot twists coming and who's the killer uh, but this one I, they gave me all these really obvious hints and I still completely missed it because I was so wrapped up in this in this sort of character stories and yeah. stuff you know it's just so you get really caught up in the complex mystery it's surely yeah. this like you know this high budget movie yeah, must you be miss doing the fact this, that like... you literally saw and heard who done it yeah. you know we literally saw miles give duke the drink and we still mm-hmm. accepted that it was an accident you know we're sort of getting caught up in the exact same things that benoit blanc was and that's why it's a very effective like the detective being the vessel for the audience really works here because everything that is affecting him the techniques that are going into making this film look and cut the way it does are also giving the audience the exact same perspective and then it kind of like works as more of an insert situation and you too get a cu- caught up in the complex layers of the glass onion when the center yep. is crystal clear and blatantly on scene, screen the whole time and that's you why this movie right. works so well on a rewatch yeah. <laughs> you rewatch yeah, it and you're like re-watching oh my it, god knowing it. Yeah. how did you're I like, miss how that how did I miss that <laughs> damn you Ryan Johnson damn you you're mad the one that got me the most with that was the um, when he said uh, Anderson Cooper over the word Andy because uh, Dave Bautista does say the full line like the night of Andy's but immediately uh, the pickup on that line is Anderson Cooper's party yes and if you don't know to look for it yeah yeah. you're so distracted with the fact they just did another name drop and Mm -hmm. all that shit that like you completely miss I'm like yeah that's so good like I don't know maybe everyone listening to this podcast would be like nah I saw this coming Don you're just an idiot (laughs) but like I was totally caught up in it Mm -hmm. Uh, Lionel's also kind of coming to to Miles' defense for a second like wasn't he in Greece this whole time how could he have been the one to kill uh, Andy but no Miles was stateside because he had just seen whiskey for her birthday in New York. And she's and a Taurus, so it was two weeks ago. I love that. Yeah, Blanc figures that out via star signs. It's <laughs> so silly. Blanc so, confirmed astrology, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, because I couldn't tell you when... If someone said I'm a Sagittarius, I wouldn't be able to say which month they I know were born in, mine so. and nothing else. Yeah. I only know mine because I'm so sick of it being a Cancer, because every now and again... Someone who's into it will look me in the eye and say, Dom, you're a cancer. And it'll take me a few seconds to realize they're not being horrible to me. (laughs) Yeah, you don't get that so much with Aquarius. It tends to just be like, I don't know, water stuff. Um, Yeah, is that water stuff? Because I thought the other Pisces was water stuff, because that's the fish. We're very close, apparently. I don't know enough about astrology to tell you anything other than Aquarius is the water bearer, like the cup bearer thing. I'm a giant crab. That's all I know. Nice. Nice. A lot of Aquarius... well, aquatic creatures. <laughs> yeah, but my, in my case, also terrible diseases because I've cancer and crabs. <laughs> like, 
Anyway, a little <laughs> rant about astrology over. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, he does. That, that's how he reveals that they were on the mainland at the time. Yeah. And they kind of bring the whole metaphor of the glass onion home. We're told to forget every other motivation, all these complex layers, because of the, at the center, the very visible center, was the envelope the whole time. Who had the most to lose from this envelope? It was Miles. Uh, he's the one it really threatened above everyone else. And at this moment, Helen reappears holding said envelope. When Miles received the facts of the email, he had driven his baby blue Porsche to Andy's where he murdered her. Duke was the only one who knew Miles was there, um, but he didn't know about Andy's death until he had gotten a Google alert for it during the party, which he showed Miles when they had that conversation about him blowing up. It was... All in plain sight, glass onion. Yeah, Yeah. heavily, heavy-handed metaphor for the actual thing that he wanted because this changes everything duke now knows something he has something over miles you gotta think like he ba- like it, it shows duke's lack of uh imagination and that he basically had miles's balls and a vice at that point because he knew basically could prove he murdered someone and the mo the all he wanted was a spot for his youtube channel on the yes. news not on like the, hey give news. me six billion dollars so i can do my own networking it's just mm-hmm. like hey can i have a fucking shout out on your channel yeah. <laughs> Miles didn't even need to hide uh, Andy's death. He just needed to hide that Duke had shown Miles the death before he was killed in order to make it, you know, seem like he wouldn't have possibly known. Yeah. So he's killed for his cell phone, basically, which is a bit yeah. depressing. Which notably, Miles does not have a phone, so finding Duke's phone in his back pocket is incredibly incriminating. Um, Miles murdered Duke with pineapple juice, his major allergy. Which bemoans Benoit is incredibly dumb. <laughs> I love that um, Helen's first thought was like, "Did he? Does he just carry poison on him? Is that a thing that rich people do?" I was like, "Yes." <laughs> I, that would also be my first thought: is that everyone has a fucking like poison Vial ring. Of, yeah. <laughs> if you, you once you have more than a million dollars, you just carry like uh, cyanide on you at all times. <laughs> yeah. The rest of the group then checks their phones and realize that indeed uh, Andy is dead, and the Andy that is in front of them is Helen. I love that it takes Birdie a second. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah you told me you had a twin sister, Helen. <gasps> oh, before you just just before you died. Wait. <laughs> Wait like, a oh, minute. Birdie. Oh, Birdie. Um, now we have to talk about Helen's attempted murder. Benoit explains that the circumstances were perfect. They had a gun in reach and the lights were off. And as he's sort of going through this, he has a moment of realization where he thinks that this slightly, even remotely clever idea could have been Miles's, and then he remembers that earlier in the movie he had told Miles that having all these people on this island was like putting a loaded gun on the table and turning the lights off. Yeah, because he literally gets out, gets the gun out of the situation by putting it on the table mm-hmm. and, and turning the lights off. It's like ah, oh, so He's one, the one idea original with thought. panache was stolen from Benoit Blanc. Uh, Miles was the one who shot Helen, and despite uh, all of this, he had kept the envelope. He didn't burn it, uh, which Lionel's like, what are you doing, you idiot? (laughs) Yeah, well, I think he... uh, Yeah, I never quite got the logic of why he hadn't immediately destroyed that. I think it was like clearly happened had happened just before people showed up, because he'd just shoved it behind this artwork Mm -hmm. thing he had of the the perfect shape. I took it as like... He knew he could have destroyed it, but he chose not to kind of as like an ego thing. Like, Uh, look, I have this thing. I'm the ultimate winner of it. And it is logically a very stupid move. It's the one piece of evidence that could ruin him. But he is an idiot. So he kept it. 
Helen reveals uh, said napkin and Miles is like, whoa, whoa, slow down now. Like, how can you even prove that is the real one? But uh, Andy's has the watermark on it of the glass onion bar, which since it's been closed for nine years, Miles just can't recreate and his does not have. Um, and it seems like Miles is going to make a second point, but he just flicks the lighter that he has in yeah, his pocket up burns and it. burns the napkin and envelope. Uh, giving a little nod to Lionel, like, look, I did it. Um, Miles then proceeds to monologue, uh, asking if anyone in this room had even seen the smoking napkin, this proof, as it were, and all the other disruptors stay silent as Miles talks about how in the real world you need evidence, not just a neat little detective story, and now they don't have any. Blanc seems kind of defeated and is like, Helen, he's right, um, and Miles reminds them that it's their word against his, and it's going to go as well for them as it ever did for Andy. He tries to then give his condolences to Helen, who turns to look at all of the others and yells like, why were, why are none of you stepping up to corroborate the truth of what they've seen? You know, you're all a bunch of shitheads. You still stuck on this golden teat, as it were. Uh, a <laughs> phrase they use constantly in this movie. <laughs> shitheads and golden teat in regards to these, yes. this ensemble keep coming up. Mm -hmm. She makes an appeal to Benoit Blanc to do something, but there's nothing he can do. He only operates within the system. Uh, he's given her the truth and that's where his jurisdiction ends. So he hands her a drink, offering her the only thing he can, some courage, and reminds her why her sister walked away in the first place. What was Which... it that made Andy walk away? Revealing that he had just casually pocketed some hydrogen earlier yes. in the film, which is a ballsy moving for him. Helen strides to the center of the room, chugs the whiskey soda, drops the glass, and begins to shatter any one of the glass statues she can get her hands on. She's just smashing everything in this room. Yeah. Miles which the disruptors, like, quote-unquote, yeah. get in on, which is really funny. They do. At first, Miles is just sort of like amusedly watching this outburst, but slowly the others start to cheer her on and then later join in um, yep. as he's sipping his drink and watching the others like riot and get their little which is, uh, yeah. feelings out. It, it's also a really funny commentary on Miles again, because like you kind of, despite that you'd think he must know that everyone in the room hates him, mm -hmm. it still clearly upsets him when he finds out just how keen they were to destroy it, to get a, able to vent their frustrations on his art room. So he starts yeah. getting a bit, like, grumpy towards the end because he realizes just how everyone in the room hates his guts despite the fact that he has intentionally done this. Which, again, it's like... I keep coming back to Musk right now because he's my least favorite, but, like, just him realizing that he's, in fact, kind of an unpopular person despite doing all these incredibly stupid and mean-spirited things recently. Uh, it You know, it, it's just such a clever commentary on this billionaire mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Um... And as Helen is continuing her destructive uh, tirade, some of the others sort of back off a bit because she grabs a mace from one of the like glass suits of armor and starts to smash other things, including Miles's wooden bar. And at this point, Miles is starting to like try and get her to stop. Uh, and as he reaches forward, she grabs the lighter from him and sets his bar cart on fire. Remember what this house is made of? As Andy continues to fuel the fire that no one is able to put out, uh, Miles uh, finally starts to like try and talk her down as the sprinklers kick on, but Helen just walks up and reveals the crystal of clear fuel that Blanc had slipped into her hand, the very fuel all in the systems of this house, all over what this house. Was it called Clear with a K? Clear with a K. Yep. Yeah. Because of course it fucking was. She throws it, it creates a massive explosion that gets sucked up into the, the vents of the glass onion, and Claire, moments before everything uh, blows up, just whispers, Hindenburg. <laughs> it just... Yes. Beautiful callback there. 
Yep, entire blows up the entire building. Which, mm-hmm. while this was happening, while she was doing the uh, the smashing of the arse and stuff, again, I was getting worried because once again, I was doubting this movie. And I was like, okay, is she just going to vent her feelings and blow up his house, and that's going to be his comeuppance? Because that's not a very satisfying ending, right? Uh, but of course, that was not her ultimate goal. Her ultimate goal was the 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 poor poor Mona Lisa. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Benoit Blanc is enjoying a cigar with Daryl outside as the smokeless garden alarm goes off from the flaming house, finally getting his comeuppets on the tech systems. Inside, it's chaos. Miles' monument to his stupidity is falling apart and on fire. Um, He locks eyes with Helen as the song Mona Lisa kicks in, and she starts booking it for the override switch that he stupidly installed because you should never have an override for a safety feature like that protecting a priceless artifact that Miles and his arrogance has one. Which he'd also straight up said invalidates his insurance on it. Yep. Um, She, you know, books it straight to her goal. Everyone tries to stop her, but none of them are able to even grab her a little bit. Yes, I love, yeah, Miles can't even do tackling right. He's nope. this useless a person. <laughs> His attempt at tackling her was so misjudged. Yeah. He just sails past her. Right on past, she smacks down the statue override button. The safety features go off, and the Mona Lisa goes up in flames as Miles watches his own poor planning and dreams go up in those same flames. Yeah. Um, well, he doesn't realize that. Like, he's just like, that was just a really shitty way of, yeah. like, her venting her feelings. And she has to, like, Helen has to explain to him that, uh, that she's actually just proved his fuel isn't safe. Mm-hmm. Or he's put his entire fortune into backing this. And now he has to pay billions in the insurance money to the Mona Lisa. So he's, he's ruined. He, like, he's going to be destitute. And he, yeah. he clearly hadn't put that together himself. No, they all end up sitting outside on the steps uh, as Miles was ranting about, at Helen about her, like, tantrum and how childish she is. And this is when she tells him, like, your fuel of the future just barbecued the world's most famous painting. Congrats on the public launch of Clear and the end of Miles Braun. He'll forever be remembered in the same breath as the Mona Lisa. It's oh, not in the way good he wanted. It's, it's so such good. a good callback. Everything <laughs> ties in. Every line is just so perfectly delivered mm-hmm. again. Like, ah. Uh. Yeah, he continues to try and get those disruptors on the same page as him to take her down, but they're not on his team anymore or his teat, and uh, they all say the truth of what they saw. They saw Miles driving away from Andy's. They saw him switch the drinks. They saw yeah, everything. Which, the thing is, like, they... Yeah, what was the line she said when they were refusing to send up for her? It's like, you'll lie for a lie, but you won't lie for the truth. Mm-hmm. So now they're just like, now that uh, the golden teeth has dried up, they've, you know, they've taken away Miles' power. So they're just like, yeah, you're going to jail. And he's like, yeah, you shitheads. <laughs> um, so. The boats start to arrive as Benoit and Helen watch. She got the son of a bitch. It's time to go home. Yep. To kind of bring this around to how the movie is mostly her story and then Blanc is just the guiding audience surrogate of it all kind of in a similar way to marta last movie we end on the mm-hmm. shot of helen looking out to the boats and we go to credits as glass onion yeah. by the beatles plays what a great movie <laughs> so good little i will say like little bit cowardly of blanc to let helen take the because she was like there was a good chance that everyone in that building was going to blow up like they, yeah. they, it was kind of a mirror like the car smashes through the ceiling the baby blue porsche <laughs> crashes down like right next to Helen so like there's a good chance that sh- everyone in that building might have died so Blanc was apparently willing to let her take that risk while he went and ran off outside to wait for her but mm-hmm. yeah. it was a, a little bit cowardly of him there but he did he did specifically say I'm not the action hero of this story so. right he's here to solve the mystery which he yeah. did 
Well, what was his name? Andy? Steve? The the blonde friend who was just Darryl. there. Daryl. Daryl was just outside and they were smoking with him. So he just had some weed. He's like, what? So Daryl clearly there. isn't fully aware of what's going on. <laughs> he's clearly very baked. Yep. Um, I just, I think this is a really well done movie. I know there's been a lot of people so who don't good. love it. I think it Wait, kind what? of. There's been a fair amount of people who don't like it. I think a lot of the people who I've seen come against it have been mostly either um, it's too of its time, a lot too many references to the very specific era in which it exists. I think that that works ultimately, but I can see yeah. why that might be a detractor. We're never going to forget the pandemic, you know? We're not going to yeah. forget, like... So, I mean, maybe it won't age great, but that doesn't stop it from being an amazing film mm-hmm. now. And this is its time. But... I'm interested because it is so similar to Knives Out in terms of, like, tone and the type of storytelling it's doing, but it's dealing with... Yeah this like new tech billionaire instead of this old money family yeah. i'm curious if some of the pushback has been because of the topic like because of the type of person I, yeah. it's villainizing instead yeah i mean i know ben shapiro was pissed off because it was clearly very sort of you know the, the politics were quite anti-right-wing grifter mm-hmm. which you could tell he was kind of offended by that but wanted to make it seem like he was just being a movie critic so he was complaining that there were plot twists in it like oh you don't find out the real plot until halfway through and it's like, like yeah, yeah. Benny, have you ever read a mystery novel <laughs> like, or seen a mystery movie? But you, you know, you could tell he was just butt hurt because he was being made fun of. Right. So I was assuming that might be a problem. Is that there's you know a huge fan base out there for the for, for the who are the people I'm thinking of? Who's that? I actually I'm not going to give them a free shout out, but you know you know the right wing grifters I'm talking about, the mm-hmm. people who are off on YouTube every day, intentionally misunderstanding things and claiming trans people invading bathrooms and all that stuff so being misogynistic for the sake of views and clicks yeah. so yeah i can see that those the, the fan base of those people wouldn't hate this would hate mm-hmm. this movie because their their heroes are being made fun of and musk has this incredible cult of personality behind him mm-hmm. so that people would be offended by the you know steve jobs all of these people who are being made fun of all had this huge fan base yeah so it could be them trying to bomb the reviews but like it, it, you can't not acknowledge that this was an incredibly well-crafted movie from yeah, like writing exactly. and cinematography. Like the directing, I, I've seen so many videos of Ryan Johnson breaking it down, and everything he does is so intentional. It's like, yeah, I was gonna say it's very thoughtfully made. As I called out earlier, I love the writing. The scene in particular where Duke is talking about, or Benoit's running through all the possible motivations, and that he says like Duke wants to kill him for reasons we all know. When you first see mm-hmm. it you think, oh, obviously we all saw Whiskey cheating on him. And then the second you get to the rerun of the movie, the flashback, the build back up, you realize, oh, at this point, Benoit Blanc has already seen that Duke wants something from Miles. He wants that spot on Alpha TV. Reasons we all know is the second reason, not the first, but you know, it, those kinds of like double meanings that seem seamless the first time you watch them and still work the second yeah, are super so, hard yeah. to write. And so it's very impressive that there is as much of that in this movie as there a is. Mo- yeah, a movie that dep- depends quite heavily on these plot twists, having such rewatch value is mm-hmm. very impressive because you are, I mean, I will, I've watched this twice now. I will watch it. I will probably watch it a third time or fourth <laughs> time. And it's, it's, it, you know, same with Knives Out really. It's like knowing that Ransom Spoilers, sorry. Uh, for was was the killer doesn't make any of it less enjoyable. Yeah, I did find it very funny that no one had their phones out in this movie ever because a lot of people after the Knives Out came out were like, "Oh, you can tell it's Ransom because he's the only one without an iPhone." And this right. time they were like, "We'll I... just not show anyone's phones. Yeah. Take that." Phones are either not allowed or being confiscated because they can't stop being racist mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, yeah. So yeah, I didn't know that was a rule with Apple that you're not allowed to have your villain 
hold an iPhone. That's I don't know how strict stupid. it is these days, but that is, you know, it's not uncommon for companies to not want their product used in a movie. And so that's why there's a lot of production design departments that have to make like fake beer labels for, mm-hmm. you know, what is essentially like a Bud Light type, you know, um, it kind of depends on the production. But yeah, Apple would not like their products yeah. to be associated with like- villains. <laughs> Subway, I don't know if you've seen Community, but like Subway was absolutely fine with their company being shown off to be this weirdest fucking thing. Like they were, they were hiring people to take on Subway as an identity. They were doing this Orwellian thing, and then they were showing that all their employees were like indoctrinated soldiers and stuff. And I was just amazed that this company was willing to sign off on that. But apparently, Subway has a really good sense of humor when it comes to their brand being used for whatever. I think but, they're they're pretty light in terms of like giving out their IP. They also put it in any show that they can get their hands on. Um, yep. So I imagine it kind of was fine with them. Um, but was the thought process that lasted? But yeah, this movie is like incredibly well constructed. Um, I was surprised it got as many people as I saw being like, I didn't love this because uh, usually yeah, well, you know, I mean, not the, every movie. The first is, I've heard of it. Yeah. So I'm I'm I'm. A- upset i'm deep deep in film twitter at this point (laughs) of course um but you know i understand that not every movie is for everyone um so you know you always expect uh, some people to be like oh you know i didn't click with me that's fine um but i was interested in how much more backlash this movie got than the previous entry in the benoit blanc mystery series of movies that i hope we get more of um and i do think that because there is a lot less um you don't get fanboys for old money in the way that you get fanboys for a tech billionaire. And I do think that the subject Mm. matter of this movie and particularly the character who ended up being the one who done it in the who done it, um, may have well, not just that he was I'm sure they would have been okay with him being a murderer. What but they then were objecting he was an to was him being an idiot. <laughs> yes. yes. They would have um, forgiven would have forgiven Ryan Johnson for making Elon Musk look like a mani- like a evil Macho- Machiavellian, but making him look like a fucking clown was yeah. too much. I would but I I mean I'm assuming this motive Whereas mm-hmm. I, I'm sure some, pe- I'm sure plenty of people have legitimate film criticism yes. about it, and with the choices made and stuff like that. So it's not mm-hmm. not to brand everyone who's naysayed this film with the same no, brush. But I'm of su- course. But I'm, I guarantee there probably are some bad faith people out there who are just pissed off at the politics or mm-hmm. the uh, you know the fact that their daddy Musk, who's going to take them to Mars someday, was being made fun of. Yeah, but like from an objective standpoint. Cinematography is great, as you mentioned. The writing is great, as you oh, mentioned. Yeah. This every, movie is every scene of a painting is visually very right. thoughtful. Um, every, even if every, you don't agree with every creative painting, decision, like maybe Among Us was a step too far in terms of dating it. I think it worked, but I'm sure yeah. that, that well, that's for some people that... wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, Among Us was the only thing I clocked that was like has really had its time now, as far as mm-hmm. I can see. So maybe the rest of it, like the masks, jokes, the everything else, will also. But again, the, he knew when to stop with that because he acknowledged the pandemic. He had the tropes of the pandemic, and then they got their miracle cure and they moved on from it. So from that point on, the film was fine and. I don't know, maybe we'll come to a point where it's just a given that billionaire, you know, these billionaires with this cult of personality aren't as cool as people seem to think they are. Mm-hmm. And that will just become a knowledge so that that twist of the movie will be less having less impact. Or maybe we'll get to the point where the whole world's so indoctrinated we won't understand that that's a thing at all. Maybe the, the billionaires will win. But, you know, I don't, I don't see that dating the movie in a negative way i mean everyone mm-hmm. makes references to contemporary times it's like you're not going to get angry at a film for having a flip phone in it just because right. like yeah that's when it was made yeah i think so. it's really interesting i mean we've kind of crossed right over into final thoughts uh 
you know, immediately. And I'm okay with that because I, I yeah. love discussing this movie. But it is, it's an, it's an interesting uh, side effect, I think, of this movie being uh, a time capsule of a time period that is so, so recent. Because usually when you get what would be considered a period piece, it's at least 20 to 30 years back, if not significantly mm-hmm. farther. And so it has this film of nostalgia over it. And I don't think we're necessarily nostalgic for the pandemic or in any way, like, no, looking like back said, it's, on it's, it's it with the advantage of time. negative nostalgia. It's yeah. like we're recognising the tropes that developed during the pandemic. Like, mm-hmm. some people... Like, because uh, uh, Ben uh, Blanc's boyfriend was covered in flour and was wearing an apron when he answered the door. Bacon so he bread. clearly got in it. <laughs> the bacon bread, yeah, baking bread thing. Like, everyone was doing, so there's just... There are a lot of references like that that I think we will always get because we, will, mm-hmm. we are all joint traumatized by 2020 to 2021. Yes. So, yeah, while it will date the movie, like all movies are dated in some way or another, I just, I don't think these things are going to drop from, like as much as filmmakers I think will go back to pretending the pandemic didn't exist because it's not sexy as disasters go. It's not like a war where you could have heroes and villains. It's yeah. just a thing where it just really, really sucked. So while I'm sure movie makers will go back to ignoring it, I don't think any of us are going to forget no. what we did to get through that or what it was like or, you know, the people we saw emerging from it and mm-hmm. how the ma- you could tell who someone was from their mask, you know? Yeah, I think it's, we're going to, you know, we haven't quite seen film and TV embrace uh, this, like, shared experience that we all have and to an extent are still living through. So, um because for a lot of people, it's escapism, right? Like you watch a movie, you don't exactly. necessarily want to be reminded of what you're seeing. But I think it is an incredibly powerful tool to pull on these lived experiences that your target audience knows and is familiar with. And to see it used well here, I think is really interesting to see where it could go mm-hmm. in future films. Um, but man, this movie is good. I liked it a lot. Normally I, I ask the guests like, should people watch this movie and in what situation? But yeah, you should. I it's will, great. If you haven't seen I it already, I will be personally back. offended if people don't watch this movie. Anyone listening to this right now, if you have, if you care about my opinion of you, you must watch this film. <laughs> awesome. And if people do care about your opinion of them, is there somewhere else maybe that they could find you, Dom, to get more oh, about that opinion? Well. Well, if you well, I mean, it's presumably, if they know of me, they do care. Obviously, care about my opinion because that's what my entire job is about. But if you if you don't, because you've no no idea who I am, uh, you can find me at Dominic Noble on YouTube. Just you know, type me in, you'll see me. I compare uh, film adaptations of books to those books to see how well they tied in, plots, themes, that this, that, and the other. Which uh, Alas, Glass Onion was not. That was an original writing, but. I do delve into other things in my free time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you just type Dominic Noble into Google, you'll see me on Twitter, Instagram. I post pictures of my cats and stuff like that. Yeah, there'll be links to all of that in the show notes below. Uh, Dom, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It's been an absolute blast. Um, Thanks for inviting me. I, I've <laughs> been trying to talk about this film to everyone who will listen. So this was an excellent <laughs> opportunity to trap you in it. Happy to provide an opportunity. Excited to get to do a movie that is a recent release and not like from... 2008 for once <laughs> no shade love Specific. sky high but <laughs> but uh no this is this is super fun um i'm off to go relive the events of today up and until this point to see the plot that i missed presumably from another perspective uh we'll catch you guys all in a future episode thank you so much for listening and uh thanks for listening to the first episode of 2023 we're kicking off the, the year of movies track. have a have a great year everyone do keep yourself <laughs> safe and whatnot Oh boy, that was bad. Perfect um, American accent. Perfect. No. How dare you? I will not hear a word against it. Good day to you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. 
We'll be back on January 23rd with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, check out the Moviestruck's Discord server linked in the show notes below, or feel free to email us with any questions at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron to help support everything we do and get access to some cool bonus content. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below. I'd also like to give a special thank you to all of the patrons who joined us in December. It's because of you guys and everyone else over there on Patreon that keeps the lights on for this podcast, so a special thank you to Sarah Grace Houston, I'm Gonna Get You, Alex Monaco, and Caliburn. Thanks for supporting the show, guys, and I hope that everyone continues to enjoy Movie Struck and had a lovely new year.